VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Friday, September the 16th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's the producer of the show on this Come On With an edition of Open Line. So if you're in the St. John's metro region, we're looking forward to speaking with you today. The number to dial is 273-5211. Elsewhere, toll free, we are looking to speak with you today as well. If you're anywhere outside the metro region, it's 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. So I don't know if you're following along in these late throws of the Major League Baseball season. The Jays got pummeled last night. It was the first game they dropped in their series against Tampa Bay, but 11 nothing's quite the drilling. But there's something to keep an eye on if you're a baseball fan, and you probably already are. It's the monumental season being put up by New York Yankee slugger Aaron Judge. It's truly remarkable. There's an outside chance. Now, it's a remote chance that he might win the Triple Crown, which, of course, is the batting average leader, home runs and RBIs. He's got the home runs and RBIs sewed up. No problem. He's got 57 home runs and 123 RBIs. He's got almost 20 more home runs than the closest follower, uh, Schwarber, in Philadelphia. He's got about 11 or 12 more RBIs than uh, Alonso in New York. So he's batting 310. I mean, imagine the sluggers hitting 310. The league leaders, of course, Freddie Freeman in uh, Los Angeles batting 329. But in the American League, the leaders, a kid in, uh, in Minnesota batting 320. But Judge, give us some perspective to how many home runs 57 is with 19 games to go. So, of course, chasing the legend that is Roger Maris, and he's 61 home runs as a New York Yankee. So it looks like he's going to get that, which is incredible in and of itself because everyone on top of Maris are folks who have been directly tied to using steroids. So, of course, Barry Bonds back in 2001 hit 73. Maguire, Sosa, they're the only guys ahead of uh, Roger Maris. And, of course, that should soon be eclipsed, I would imagine, by Aaron Judge. But what a season they got going. Do you put asterisks up against those things, the, the steroid guys? I suppose you do. Hey, boy. All right. We've said goodbye to female tennis legend Serena Williams at the U.S. Open. And now the legend himself, Roger Federer, has announced his retirement, too. His last ATP tournament will be at the Labor Cup. My favorite player of all time, and I'd be curious to know yours, he's played over 1,500 matches. He's got 20 Grand Slams. He won eight times, which is a record at Wimbledon, six Aussie Opens, five U.S. Opens, and the one French to complete the career Grand Slam. Away goes Federer, probably the most elegant player of all time. The argument is clear about him and Nadal and Djokovic as to who is actually the best, but no, no questioning who's the most elegant player, graceful player to ever step onto the court. The great Roger Federer, one more tournament to go. All right, back to some local action. So the Newfoundland Rogues, of course, they had a COVID-interrupted interrupted season, their inaugural season. In the American Basketball Association, they're leaving that league to join what is called the Basketball League. Pretty self-describing a name for that group. The Basketball League. So I actually saw team owner Tony Kenny walking his dog this morning, as a matter of fact. So the Basketball League has a partnership with the National Basketball League of Canada, where, of course, the Newfoundland Growlers play, and their home games are over at the Fieldhouse at Mon. So Mr. Kenny and his team are joining that league, 40-game schedule, 28 of which will be played at the Mary Brown Centre, so only 12 on the road. Teams from the States, Quebec and Ontario, will make their way here. They will indeed have playoffs and an all-star game. The, uh, the season schedule will be finalized here now in a couple of weeks. A really affordable ticket, too. It's, under, it's around 12 bucks for a ticket to go down and see the Rogues play in their new league, the Basketball League. We wish them good luck. All right, moving on. 
So the fractious relationship between Apple and Steve Jobs is well understood. But it was the day in history, 1997, Jobs got invited back and reinstated as the CEO at Apple. So between the iPad and the iPod and the iPhone, the most profitable company in the world, people are hooked to their Apple products. And they kind of got people where they want them, you know. Every time you buy something new, it also requires a new charger because nothing really fits in all the various devices. You know, well, of course, all based on profitability, but Jobs back at Apple today in history in 1997. So it's also today in history. Let's go to the small screen. You know I love to keep an eye on these things. It was today in 1993 Frasier first appeared on NBC. Generally speaking, the spin-off series don't do that well. Of course, this is a spin-off from Cheers, but they had a great run. It was a tremendous show, extremely funny program, great uh, cast in it, and of course, Christopher Lloyd, writer and producer on the show, Kelsey Grammer himself, Frasier, he sang the show's theme song, Tossed Salads and Scrambled Eggs, which is actually really cool, and they won a lot of Emmys. Where do they fall in on the list? I know this is a fairly interesting start to a Friday show. Let's start with number 15 of all time, NYPD Blue. 20 Emmys. The Sopranos, great show. 21 wins. All in the Family, 22 Emmys. The Modern Family, great program. 22 wins. The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, the people missed that show. Uh, they won 23 times. ER won 23 times. The Carol Burnett Show, 25 Emmys. West Wing, another terrific program, 26. Hill Street Blues, 26. Cheers, 28. The Mary Tyler Moore Show won 28 times. The Simpsons, still active, won 35 Emmys as of up till now. Fraser, number three all time with 37. Number two, Game of Thrones. You know what? I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. Not one. I suppose I should one of these days. All my buddies love it. And number one all time, got a guess, Dave? Saturday Night Live. With an astounding 73 wins and 296 nominations for an Emmy. Okay. I haven't seen any of the family feud featuring the Maddox family from Bay Bulls, but apparently they hit the $10,000 last night. They play their final game coming up on Monday. So go get them. We've been reaching out to folks, you know, at the beginning of hockey season and other sporting seasons. If you've got gently used gear, equipment around the house, looking for a place to donate it, we can always help you out with that one. But also, this is on behalf of uh, Miss Susan Evoy at St. Teresa's School in Monday Pond. They're looking for your instruments, whatever kind of instruments you've got at home. I mean, how many of us have had our children in the band or taking lessons? Hopefully, some of them will ha use it for life. Some of them, not so much. So if you've got an instrument anywhere in your home, we're trying to make sure the students at Miss Evoy's class at St. Teresa, Teresa's on Monday Pond Road, if you have the instruments, please do indeed contact Susan Evoy. Her email address is an easy one, Susan, S-U-S-A-N, Susan Evoy, E-V-O-Y, at N-L-E-S-D.ca. So if you have an instrument, we'd like to put it in the hands of a youngster who'd like to play. Okay. This is a good story. You know, the, the story's about message in a bottle. Which is a cool exercise to undertake. You know, you put in the little message asking folks, wherever you are, whoever you are, if and when you find it, please contact me so I can find out where my bottle went. This one's a little bit different. This was a lost 21-foot skiff. So the boys, uh, Jason Burton, he was towing the boat across the bay from Lumsden to Conception Bay for the Capelin Fishery. They looked back. It was getting pretty windy. The seas were getting pretty high. Looked back. The boat's still there. Okay, okay, okay. Looked back an hour later. She's gone. It was then reported they had seen it capsized uh, somewhere nearby, and they thought, well, that's it. As soon as the air comes out of that bow, she'll be sunk, and that's, it's all over. Then, 14 months later, it was reported uh, seen in Vega, Norway. So somehow uprooted itself and made its way all the way to Norway. So that's a pretty interesting story. Okay, a bit more serious issues.
We know one of the most dangerous professions on the face of the earth is to be a fisherman or a fisher person. All right. So there's lots to this. You know, it's not only on the water. There's lots of risks associated with the industrial setting that is a fish plant. So the FFAW is launching a new campaign to talk about exactly that, health and safety issues for their members. Like in the plant, shellfish, asthma, the ergonomic concerns, mental health, all of these need a keen focus, and the FFAW is going to do more on that front. There's been long a call for a standalone safety sector to address all the needs of the plant workers. You know, remember when the big cry was for a standalone safety sector regarding the province's offshore industry? You know, to be housed, I would imagine, and it is at the CNLOPB, but they're looking to do more for plant workers and their health and their safety. Extend to that, tomorrow marks the one-year anniversary where you last saw Joey Jenkins, uh, or Mark Jenkins, pardon me, and Joey Russell, two fishermen from Mary's Harbor. The RCMP eventually called off the search and the Coast Guard called off the search on the 29th of this month. It brings upon more conversation about all the safety measures that's required to take on that dangerous profession offshore. So whether it be using the emergency beacons, the EPIRBs, or the immersion suits, it's just such a sad story and it happens far too often in this province. And then you add to it some of the additional potential safety risks associated with adjusting the length of your vessel to accommodate Transport Canada rules. So tomorrow is that somber anniversary, the last time those two lads were seen out on their fishing boat. Okay, I've got a lot of people asking me, you know, about some of the various particulars regarding the holiday that's coming up on Monday. For out of a sign of respect, people will say regarding the, the funeral for Queen Elizabeth II. Beyond the fact that the federal government employees are, have a holiday and provincial government employees have a holiday and the schools will be closed, everybody else was left up to their own devices. They would decide to do what they saw fit regarding their own municipalities and or their own businesses. So regarding the particulars and specifics about where you live, I don't know is the short answer. There's a difference of opinion in St. John's, to Mount Pearl, to Paradise, to CBS, to Cornerbrook, to Gander, to Gr Look, I just don't know. The best thing you can do is just check with your own municipality, and whatever business you are choosing to be a patron of on Monday, you're just going to have to check with them, because nobody really knows. Of course, a lot of this is built in with the late decision by the federal government and the provinces to take it up as a holiday. So in short order, I really don't know what to tell you. I've got about a dozen emails that are confused from people who are confused. I would like to know and for me to ask or pardon me to offer some answers to them. Basically, I don't know what to tell you because it's a real mixed bag out there. So you're going to have to try to, unfortunately, make a few calls where you live and the business you'd like to go to on Monday to see if they will indeed be open. All right. So it sounds like it's been a banner tourism season. Which is good news. Now, if any of it is related to, for instance, come home your celebrations, it may be so, and probably so. But travelers with their pent-up demand, thankfully they've made their way to this province and spent their money. Nothing like a bit of out-of-province money to help give a kickstart to our economy. And the hospitality and tourism sector, they needed this badly. So that's particularly good news. There's an interesting story around, like every now and then a celebrity makes their way here and it just <laughs> puts people into a frenzy. You know? So Madonna's yacht. If that was ever true, I don't even know. They used to say, oh, that's Madonna's yacht in the harbor in St. John's. All right. And uh, one day I ran into Kiefer Sutherland on Duckworth Street. I didn't say anything to him. You know, the, only th uh, the only time I think I've ever, ever approached a celebrity, I was in Temple Bar in Dublin, saw Joe Elliott from Def Leppard. I said, how you doing, Joe? How you doing, mate? Well, that, that was it. That was the exchange. Maybe another couple of uh, odd encounters. But you know, Ben Stiller apparently was here. Famous actor, 
terrific comedic actor. He was out in Port Union, apparently. He's doing some scouting for an upcoming project. And I've seen people fighting back and forth about whether or not we should just leave them alone to enjoy their holiday. But it's hard to resist saying hello to someone you maybe admire, adore, a fan of. You know, these are celebrities. It's always a bit of fun to meet someone with that type of stature in the entertainment business. So Ben Stiller was here, great. I don't know if Madonna made her way here this year, I have no idea. But it brings upon a different conversation regarding tourism. I know that many people, every time I say this, I'm told, boy, you know, you live with uh, your head in the clouds. And this is about access to the province. Whether it be via Marine Atlantic, or we could talk about the fixed link, but air travel, the most common. We're in a bad spot. I mean, it's not only the cost, but when people look around about, well, let's, well, how about we go to Newfoundland and Labrador? And then they have a look at the price of the tickets and the convoluted routes to get here, then maybe it doesn't seem as attractive as it might otherwise. And now WestJet, they're going to focus their operations in Western Canada. They're going to suspend all direct flights from Halifax to Montreal, Ottawa, and St. John's. That's not good news. And of course, Air Canada is not going to be altruistic here. They're going to jack up their fares as well. Also, that WestJet flight is the main route if people are wanting to fly to Europe, and as opposed to having to go to Toronto's Pearson with some of the problems that persist at that airport, it was St. John's, Halifax, and then wherever, Heathrow or wherever you were planning on uh, traveling in Europe. But now that's gone. Just a further knock on what should be... Something that we work towards, I get it. You know, it's not easy to convince an airline to come to town or come to the province. But obviously other airport authorities have figured it out. You know, most notably was the flight, direct flight from St. John's to Dublin that ended up in Halifax at Stan- Stanfield Airport. And it's simply because they wooed them with cash. Some breaks and landing fees and other fees for service on the ground at that international airport. So what do you do? Or what do we do? What can we do? Imagine if there was a direct flight, even if it was from St. John's to, we'll say, Heathrow. Or there was direct flights from St. John's to Newark and vice versa, Newark, New Jersey, which is a real hub of international travel. Those two small, seemingly small, additional routes would be a massive issue for tourism, business, and pleasure travel. But anyway, you want to take it on? We can do it. All right. Spoke yesterday, well, I guess we do it all the time about the so-called scope of practice for healthcare professionals to try to ease the pain and the system that is overwhelmed. The province says they're looking at expanding the scope of practice for pharmacists. Excellent idea. They're also going to offer nurses, this inside the Medical Association, nurses will be able to write some additional prescriptions to try to ease the burden on the GPs and the emergency room doctors, for instance. And yes, I'm not leaving out any other profession, licensed practical nurse or nurse practitioner, all part of the conversation. But thankfully, the province, and they say in short order, we'll hear an announcement about what will be afforded to pharmacists, well-trained, dedicated healthcare professionals. You know, there was some expansion when they were administering vaccines, what have you, but there's more they can do. And so it's high time. So let's get at it. It's a good thing that the province is looking at it. It'll be interesting to see what they finally come up with when that announcement comes. And I don't know if you're one of the families or individuals that was impacted by the announcement that they had to review thousands and thousands and thousands of mammography test results. And you know the deal. So they've identified another six individuals where there were discrepancies. And, you know, even if you haven't been contacted, I can only imagine what that has meant for some of your additional and potentially unnecessary worry. 
because when you hear the story and you had a mammography in one of the regional health authorities and then you get this news, of course you're going to be looking at the phone and wondering when you go to bed, is it me? But they've identified a few more and they still have tons more to do to get through all of the, the numbers of test results that they need to have reviewed. All right. Speaking of worry and anxiety, and please today tell me some good news, please. The whole issue surrounding the home invasions. Okay, so we know what that means. And when you're told to lock your doors and don't answer it if you don't recognize the person, of course people are going to get stressed out about that. But then you look to the history of the people involved. And this is pretty common stuff. You'll hear a news story about so-and-so has been arrested for whatever potential crime. And in the charges, it's not only the crime they've been arrested for this time, but breach of probation and all these standing orders. It happens all the time. It's brutal. And in these home invasions, one of the suspects that's been arrested didn't have a lengthy criminal history, didn't, has never been convicted at all. But he was just released from custody hours before he went down this crime spree and terrorized those two families and worried countless others. And then the other fella involved has a long, long laundry list of violence. What do you do? You know, you can't lock him up forever. But what do we actually do here? What'd you say, Dave? <laughs> I'll ship him out like that one guy that the judge sent him to Alberta or something. But what do you do about these things? You know, just imagine, release from custody. Well, the first thing I want to do is get whacked and to break into someone's house. And this other criminal nuisance, what do we actually do for monitoring in the community? Because at some point, unless you're deemed to be a dangerous offender with the undetermined amount of time you could indeed be car incarcerated, what do we do? But, you know, to see every time a dangerous crime has been committed and add to it breach of probation and standing orders and all the rest of it, it becomes a bit of a turnstile for some of these guys. But anyway, that's part of it. All right. So we can take on the inflation package, whether it be dental care, GST, Canada Home Housing, the Canada Housing Benefit for low-income renters. And now more money is coming from the federal government, so $250 million to help people, if they so choose, to move off the source of uh, home heating to into something, some alternative beyond oil. And there's lots of households that rely on oil in this province. I use oil and some electric baseboard heaters in my home. So it's $120 million for the four Atlantic provinces. The provinces get to determine how it's going to be spent, so we'll try to figure that out when we do know more. And we've talked a bit about consumer debt. For most of us, the biggest piece of equity that we have is in our homes. And of course, the price has skyrocketed over the last number of years, but they've cooled off dramatically in different parts of the country. But the overall national averages, you know, people say, oh my God, the bubble is burst. Prices have dropped in 24%. Average value loss has been $179,000 plus, which means that there's been billions of household worth lost. But those losses just bring us back to where we were in early 2021. So... It sounds like a good thing for people trying to get into the market, but for so many of us, that might be the nest egg. You know, the value, the equity had that you have in your home. And now so much of that has been wiped away. Probably just brought back to earth, as opposed to a bubble bursting. It's just probably more realistic pricing for a home. Although, as usual, what my home is worth is what someone's willing to pay. 
but that's a bit of a knock for homeowners. But does it make it easier for anyone to get into a home who had a problem with these incredible high prices? Because now that they come back to earth a little bit, there's still that bizarre mortgage stress test, which seems completely unnecessary to me. And then trying to come up with the down payment. There's some assistance available on that front. There's a first-time home buyers fund that you can tap into. But the interest rates are gone up, and, you know, it all feels like it might be easier. And housing is a massive issue right across the country, affordable and otherwise. So that's one of the numbers that we just saw this morning regarding the Canadian real estate market. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openline at VOCM.com. When we come back, we're going to have a great show. It's going to include some good news because you got some to tell me. We're taking a break and then we're coming back. And welcome back to the program. So we mentioned the fact that, you know, there was an encounter in particular between Skipper Bob Bartlett with Trinity Eco Tours and Ben Stiller. I wouldn't have been able to resist saying hello either, to be honest. But apparently Sting was downtown last night at O'Reilly's for a drink. And I don't think anyone walked up to him. We're so obsessed with the people that were in attendance and Brenda herself. So anyway, let's hear what's going on in the tourism season and maybe talk about it. He's encounter with Ben Stiller, Skipper Bob Bartlett. Join us on line number one. Good morning, Bob. You're on the air. Good morning, sir. How are you? Great today. Thanks. How about you? Oh, better than the best. Like I, like I mentioned, I don't think I would have been able to resist saying hello to Ben Stiller if I ran into him Port Union either, but just uh, walk us through how it happened and what went on during your conversation. Well, it's a very, very strange encounter, actually. Uh, if you can imagine, walking across the parking lot in Port Union, he's the last person you would expect to meet in the world would be Ben Stiller, even if you could conjure up just the oddest things that could happen. And... Uh, I was actually down there. They've designated the whole Bonavista uh, Peninsula down here as a UNESCO geopark. I'm sure you're familiar with that, Patty. Oh, yeah. And uh, they had a bunch of Ph.D. Um, paleontologists come in to give lectures about our, our Edie Akron, which is the geological record area of the uh, the peninsula around here. It's really the first life on the planet, but anyway, short story longer. They uh, they had these PhD guys come in and just give us a lecture based around, you know, the, the uh, geopark. And uh, I was walking across the parking lot. I decided I was going to go to this. And while I was walking across the parking lot, I looked at this gentleman, and it looked like Ben Stiller. And I wasn't sure if I was having a stroke or if I was, like, what would Ben Stiller be doing in Port Union? And I said, the only the only thing, he must be going to this Ediacaran Fossil Lecture. Maybe he's an Ediacaran fossil fan groupie and just flew up from L.A. to attend this thing. So uh, I just said hello to him, and I said, Ben, I said, you're a long way from home. I said, what brings you up this way? I said, are you going to this uh, Ediacaran fossil lecture? And he said, no, um, what is it? And I had to, I explained it to him, well, I'm not that smart about or knowledgeable about the Ediacaran fossils, but I tried to explain it to Ben Stiller the best that I could. And uh, we built a conversation around that, and uh, it, was a, it was a very nice encounter, as a matter of fact. You know, he was a very welcoming man. Very, he, uh, he was the first, actually, to extend his hand to shake minds, which, I mean, was a very gracious thing on his part. And uh, just struck up a conversation with him. Is that checking a few movie sets or potential movie uh, areas here? Uh, movie sets or scenes, I guess, or potential areas that they might be able to film. And uh, just got talking to him about anything, just anything he might need. Certainly, feel free to give us a call. And uh, gave him our number. 
numbers and stuff like that, and eventually took a picture with him. And uh, like I said, very gracious man. He was just a real nice guy. I love it. You know, it's hard to say what you're going to get when you meet. I'm not going to say Ben Stiller's your hero, but you know that old saying, you know, never meet your heroes because you might be disappointed. But every now and then you strike one of these celebs who are pretty down to earth, reasonable, normal people. So uh, I'm glad you had that positive encounter with who's a pretty important com- comedic actor. Uh, so let's talk about tourism. What kind of season have you had, Skipper? We've had a very good season. Actually, I think the province has had a very good uh, season. It just It's all coming out of COVID, and we're going into, uh, you know, the come-home year. Uh, we face some challenges with uh, rental vehicles, of course, and I'm hoping this momentum is going to keep on going or at least at least in the same vein, maybe even increase, because, I mean, I think that people are still a little bit timid to travel internationally. Um, you know, afraid of getting caught overseas with the, the COVID restrictions if they come back in place. So, I mean, domestic travel is, and Newfoundland is just the place to come. Ecotourism is a massive opportunity, and we've got it in spades. When people say it, what do you think they should be considering when we talk about ecotourism? Because many things could fall into that category, but what specifically is it to you? Well, specifically for us, I mean, it's it's visiting the... The, the wildlife and the creatures in their own habitat and, and you know, observing them in the wild. Um, you know, you can talk about ecotourism as a, uh, as a you know, lesser of a footprint or reducing your carbon footprint or whatever. There's all kinds of portions of the ecotourism factors that play into it. But for us in particular, it's, it's viewing animals in the, in the wild. I mean, you don't, I've seen dolphins in captivity at, uh, at uh, I don't know, the... West Edmonton Mall and places. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, an actual fact. I mean, that that's kind of heartbreaking when you get right down to it. I mean, orcas in captivity, belugas. Um, I mean, it's very much. I think the trend is going away of actually keeping these animals in aquariums where where you can go and visit. And again, like when you're talking about these large mammals, they definitely shouldn't be caged or you know put into uh, aquariums for our pleasure. I mean, that's that's basically what it is. It takes our takes our commitment to travel outside and view them how they really live you know I think it's dreadful. There's long been people clamoring for the sea worlds of the world to close. I mean, some of the circuses are gone by the wayside. You don't see those types of uh, safari animals featured at circuses any longer. So this is naturally happening, and rightfully so. Uh, is ecotourism, you know, because when people look to travel, and we've got so much to offer, say, for instance, even in the World UNESCO Heritage Sites, people will look up those and try to visit as many as they can. And for folks who are interested in ecotourism, I suppose we could brand uh, a sea kayak tour up the southern shore and to go out and do the Trinity Eco Tour or to visit Labrador with any, in any form or fashion. We can brand an awful lot of what we offer as ecotourism, I would imagine. What do you think? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, the opportunities that we have here, I mean, there's so many open and wild spaces that are still left. I mean, even, you know, I grew up in the 70s. Uh, I said, you know, so many people that the first time I went up the Northern Peninsula Highway, uh, it was in 1972, it wasn't paved. Grossmore National Park didn't exist. I went all the way to Lots of Meadows in uh, in '72, uh, and uh, all of that was still an archaeological dig. All the original artifacts were still in place. So I've seen big changes in the province, and we're still a very wild place, and we're still a very you know welcoming community, and and that's what we have the reputation for. And I think we have to jump on board of that and keep that going, and keep the momentum going forward.
Because, as I mentioned so often, it's one thing for the staycation, and that's all important, too, to keep some of the operations afloat. But there's nothing that replaces the value of out-of-province money. It just is a different beast. So I might, even if I spend $1,000, that's my 1000 that circulates around the province as opposed to someone from out-of-province who generally spend in the neighborhood of three times what I would spend. That money is new. That money is more measurably and appreciable than anything that I can spend in the province. Uh, good to have you on the show, Bob. I'm glad you had a good season. Hopefully it continues for a while yet. Yes, thank you, Patty. Thanks for having me on. All the best. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Skipper Rob Bartlett, uh, Trinity Eco Tours. Good way to get her started. Let's uh, take a break. When we come back, John's in the queue to talk about the day of morning coming up on Monday, September the 19th. Don't go away. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back to the show. All right, let's go. Line number three, John, you're on the air. How you doing, Patty? Excellent. How you doing? So you wanted uh, some positivity, right? Absolutely. All right, you ready for it? Um, <laughs> I'm sitting, I'm sitting, I'm sitting, and I'm ready. All right. Number one, who don't like Patty Daly? Lots Everybody, of I'll interrupt you. Everybody loves Patty Daly. I've never heard one bad thing about Patty Daly. Well, I'll tell you what. Come on and sit outside me and read some of these emails. <laughs> You'll know that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, that's, that's number one. Okay. Okay, <laughs> number two, this holiday is coming up on Monday. Yeah. Okay, you were trying to figure out for people, you had 12, 15 emails. Yep. I got to tell you uh, quickly that Eastern Health is apparently open on Monday because I got an appointment at 2 o'clock at Terrace Clinic. Yeah, most medical appointments will indeed go ahead on Monday, okay. which is what a lot of people were worried about. You know, okay. folks trying to find daycare because their child's school is closed, that's one thing. But, yeah, yeah, Eastern Health, all their appointments, there's one exemption. If you're a patient on the roster at the Family Medicine Clinic, which is for family members of people working for Eastern Health or maybe specifically the Health Sciences Center, apparently their clinic is closed, I'm told, because they have staff that come from one's medical school and they are not in operation on Monday. So that's the only appointments I know that will be canceled, and that's the good news because we can't have a holiday that was announced five days prior and all of a sudden all these medical appointments, when we have such a backlog, get canceled. It just would have been nonsense. So I'm glad that's the way it's working out. Okay, that's Eastern Health. Uh, number three. Yeah. Uh, Mount Pearl Dental is open. Good. On Monday, so I got two appointments on Monday. So that's a positivity, right? It I is positive. Get my tooth like that. My front tooth is missing, so it's hard to say the F's and the V's. <laughs> I've been there. I, I I lost one of my front teeth when I was in grade five. Oh my God. What yeah. Twice. Oh, keep it positive now, Patty. Well, it wasn't very positive. Scared the oh. you-know-what out of me. I was fooling around with Glenn Chico Cole in his backyard oh, on 12 Glenn Limerick Chico. Place, yeah. jumping over the fence and just one false move, and I struck my mouth on the one of the pickets of the fence, and bop, out came the front tooth. Oh, my God. What do you got there now, implant or what? No, I, used a, I wore a plate up until I stopped playing competitive uh, sports, and then I went ahead and got a more permanent solution put in there. But wow. I wore that plate forever, man. What a nuisance that was. My mother was mortified when I came Jeez. home without I, one I'm going to wait uh, three months for mine to heal. The, I broke it off and uh, they got the head to haul out the other piece. So my friends are telling me get a piece of XL gum and tape across. <laughs> <laughs> piece of duct tape. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, where were we to? Uh, number, I uh, this is not rehearsed by the way. Okay. Uh, uh, number four, my mom's in senior in uh, long-term care. She's uh, in... Um, I won't sit at home. Anyway, she's in long-term care. She's 88, uh-huh. and she's in full care, I should say, on the second floor. 
Anyway, she is really in love with the Queen, the Royals, you name it. They even had a picture up over the mantle when they grew up, that, that, that one that everybody had in their house, the single picture of the Queen. So uh, the service is starting 5 o'clock Eastern time, which is 6.30 Newfoundland time. Right. Okay, check this out. So she's in a room by herself. She can only move her head and her arm. She's confined to a wheelchair or, or bedridden, right? So she got no one to watch it with. And knowing the PCAs and this and that, and then just too early for them to wheel her out to watch it, right? Down the hall or whatever, and she don't want to do that anyway. So I've got approved. Are you ready? i got approved to go in to watch it with her because they're locked down under COVID-19. You're only allowed to visit 12 to 8. i got permission to go in from the top dog to go in. No reference to the corky, the dog there. <laughs> the queen's dog. i got permission to go in and watch it with my mom Good. in Rome. Terrific. Yeah, and guess what I'm taking with me? I'm taking two china cups with the queen outside and the cup and the corgis in the inside. <laughs> so we're going to be drinking tea and eating crumpets or tea biscuits or whatever. And at the end of the funeral, are you ready? All right, I'm ready. The queen loves... <laughs> the queen loves gin and tonic. So I'm bringing in an ounce of gin for me and mother, one each, and tonic water. And after it's over, mother don't notice, but we're going to tip back and have a shot of gin to the and gin and tonic to the queen after the funeral's over. But now, I'm not supposed to tell anyone. You just told a bunch of people. Okay, but I didn't identify the home, right? But no, I you think didn't. we're my tutors missing. They might recognize me, right? They might. But They'll I'm think you're either... Mask. Yeah, you're either Terry Ryan, Bobby Clark, or John. <laughs> Listen, I'm hiding behind the mask, right? You know, oh, yes, of course. That's mother, right. right. Yeah, yeah. She's the only one that... Watch, another positivity. Uh, uh, when I got, forgot your name now. Uh, right now, you got me so uh, positive. Like, uh, uh, Patty, listen. That's me. I got to hide behind the mask because she's the only one on the second floor having had COVID. Wow. Is that unbelievable? It is unbelievable. Okay, so do you think I should take in the, uh, the, the Ginny? But I don't know if it's Tanquin A or Bombay. I think either or will do. I don't imagine yeah, I Queen was too picky. Bay, right? Yeah. I'll okay. go to Bombay. Okay, last thing I'm going to say to you okay, is that uh, this is not a positive, but you stopped playing the songs, man, at 9.15. What happened? Don't get Everybody, me started. Is that a summer thing? No. I'm, we're all upset, man. Yeah, me too. I'm down okay, in the dumps tell about you, it. There's two songs I wanted you to play. Okay. If it ever comes back, number one, okay, this is positive. Okay. You too, not, not you also. You too. Yes. I know. It's a beautiful day. What a day to play that song, man. It's a beautiful day today. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and last thing okay. is, you know the Dixie, tri- sorry, it's hard to say we're two missing. The Dixie Chicks. I know them. Yeah, but watch, Goodbye Earl. It's not got nothing to do with the storm, right? But what a song to play for the week. Goodbye Earl. You know, I mean, to play on words, right? Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with like the tune. It? No, just, yeah, but don't, I mean, don't, I mean the, the, the words in the song are not the best. Well, they are, I guess, you know. But I'm talking about just to play on words. Goodbye Earl, the storm that just left. I, I think it's uh, appropriate, almost as, as appropriate as a shot of gin. Okay, well, uh, God, I appreciate you, you really this. are the bad boy, Patty. I, well, listen, I'm the baddest. You're the bad boy, but in a positive way. Anyway, everybody loves you, man. Listen, I haven't heard one thing bad. And everyone loves you, and I had the fog, too. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or not. That was a while ago now. Holy moly. Yeah, yeah. Now, i got to ask you one last question. Last there, one, because this... Yeah. Now, yeah. Has, this, has this been all positive? Absolutely right. Okay, you said you wanted to be perked up, right? Now, is there any chance at 5 to 12 of playing one of them songs? Because I'll be listening. Let me ask uh, Dave what, what we can do. Okay, I'm going to ask you to pick, pick... Let's be positive. You pick one or two. Which one would you play? Uh, beautiful Day. 
Oh man, you got tears of Mars, man. You gotta, you gotta play that. Fun are they play. tears of joy? Yes, they are. Terrific. Because you know what? What? I'm gonna be drinking. Oh my God, I'm gonna be. Oh, Patty, you got it done to me, man. I'm gonna be drinking tea with my mom, watching the funeral, and after the end, I'm gonna convince my mom to have a shot of gin. Do you uh, listen, John? Just before we go. The tonic water, man. But don't tell no one. John, do you cry easily? No, it's just my dad died, his sister died. Oh. I'm really emotional. Oh, no. I, listen, yeah, my dad nothing wrong with it. years ago, right? I can cry with the best of them. I'm in touch with my feminine side now. But it's I'm not really feminine bad. to cry. Men got to stop saying that. There's no you, being emotional is a human issue. Yeah, I can't help it, man. Don't worry about it. Listen, by every time I look, two try, sisters, I, I'm not supposed to say this. Okay. But I'm going to say, my two sisters are giving it to me. Ever since my dad died. Oh, one no, is power of attorney this. and one is executive of the state. Yeah. Let's and keep I'm it positive. Middle, Let's keep it positive. It me, I hate the family stories. Why? Well, I, I shouldn't yeah, say it like that. We were going to be positive, Patty, but I'm going to be positive for a minute. Okay, watch. Here Last we go. one. I got to go. My mom was Cinderella all her life to us. She was unbelievable. Guess what, Patty? What? I'm now the Cinderella for my mom. My mom was Cinderella for us. Now I'm Cinderella for my mom. And you ready for this? Oh, I got two ugly sisters. And they're not oh, just not stepsisters, they're two ugly sisters. I hate to but, hear it. But you know what's positive about it? This is the very last one. Go ahead. What? Oh. No, because I do have to go. That's oh. all. Okay, sorry. But you know what's positive about it? No. They ain't getting me down because I'm going to be with Mama Monday. You enjoy your uh, time yeah. with your mother. Say hello for me. Oh, and uh, this is see every day, Penny. Terrific. Make sure you say a special hello for me. And uh, cheers to you and your mother. Can Thanks you for the call. Can you play the song for the 12? Well, we'll see. I'll see what Dave says uh, when we take a Beautiful break. Beautiful okay. okay. I love you, Patty. Take good care of yourself. Love you, too. All right. Bye-bye. Well, so he didn't rehearse it because if he did, it's back to the rehearsal room. <laughs> Hopefully he has a pleasant time with his mother on Monday. Uh, I'm pretty pumped up positively. Dave, you? Dave's vibrating out there. Let's take a break. When we come back, whatever we're talking about, that's up to you. Don't go away. Hi, welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number two. Charmaine, you're on the air. Hi, how are you? Good um, morning, Patty. Good morning to you. I'm doing fine. How about you? I've uh, been a little bit better. I don't want to break the cycle of positivity, but unfortunately this morning we do have an ongoing issue there at the, the Labrador um, Health Center in Happy Valley Goose Bay. Okay, what's happening? Um, well, it's got a lot to do with patient neglect. Right now we have a young woman that's under the age of 30. Um, so Tuesday, September 13th, um, she was actually normal. She was in her backyard playing. Um, her husband came in to find her on the floor. Um, she was barely breathing, um, basically showing signs of paralysis. Sorry. Um, so he called 911, and she was brought to the Labrador Health Center via ambulance. And from there, she spent the night. Uh, early Wednesday morning, her husband received a call, and he was actually asked to pick her up. Um, she was in worse condition than when she was actually admitted. Um, she was, you know, unable to move at all. He had to carry her to the vehicle. They were actually told within leaving that they should just leave a voicemail. And um, he brought her home. Um, he was very concerned because there was no tension, no muscle tension, no activity. They called 811. Uh, they were told immediately to call 911. By 11 a.m., she was unconscious. They had to call the ambulance again to bring her in. Um, being brought back to the Labrador Health Center, um, she was actually just left in a corner. She was told, um, you know, one minute, one minute. Her husband can hear her calling out for help, and it was continuous. Like, they would be there one minute, one minute. 
Um, the doctor actually said her urine was good, but actually, in fact, that she did not give a urine sample at that point. So I'm guessing there was a mix-up within another patient. Um, at that point, she did not use the bathroom herself uh, within 24 hours. She was only given Ativan. Uh, she's seen three different doctors, um, you know. She was finally moved to a room yesterday afternoon. Um, previously, there were spots found, you know, on her breast, on her brain in 2022, uh, 2020. That was never determined. Um, we were hoping to get her to St. John's. The doctor actually said they would contact St. John's for an update as of yesterday evening, which did not happen. There's been no improvement. Nobody has been in to check on her besides the person that gave her breakfast this morning. We actually reached out as a family to Perry Trimper's office. He responded um, and said that Little Grinful Health was watching closely. We contacted Lisa Dempster, Leela Evans, Andrew Fury's office. His secretary got back to us with a pretty generic response, uh, as well as Tom Osborne, his uh, secretary, Lauren. We contacted the senators in Ottawa, George Fury. Um, at this point, we're not really sure what to do for her to receive the care that's absolutely needed. Um, you know, when it becomes somebody that you're close to, but even more so, human life is so valuable and time is of essence. She's a young woman under 30. You know, we, we need help. We need, you know, to, this to be taken seriously. So we're calling today in just a hope if you have any idea of, you know, what avenues we should take moving forward. Boy, I, you know what? I don't know if anybody has an idea that's going to see a short-term solution offered to your friend. Before we get into trying to examine that further, what happened? Um, she had no known medical conditions. It, it, honestly, she was out playing with her children in the backyard. Her husband came in and found her on the floor. Um, like She's only able to move her neck, her head, and her left arm at this point. Um, it, it's I'm, I'm, I don't even know, you know, we don't know, I guess the doctors don't know, and just wondering, you know, why Labrador Grenville Health hasn't moved her to a bigger facility like St. John's, um, you know, that would be the goal to get out and I guess to see the neurologist and just to have her looked at and this to be taken seriously as opposed to sitting in a corner in a room, you know, being not attended to. I mean, heartbreaking stories, and we hear far too many of them. You know, there's a story I read last week about there's some 20 patients admitted every day just here in uh, the, at the Health Sciences Centre that don't have a room to go to, let alone yeah. the type of attention they need. They're on gurneys and hallways and storage closets and stuff. Like, how can this be? I know the capacity issue is, is a real thing, but if someone needs a particular type of attention from a particular type of specialist, in this case a neurologist, I suppose, is what I think you just said, is, yeah. you know, the transfers have to happen quickly. And if we have to wait, whether it be for air ambulance service and or a, a neurologist to be available, at least with a safe and dignified space to be with a, a caring, compassionate healthcare professional to try to help as much as they possibly can. I know we got good people in the system. So does this in your mind is this simply all boiled back to staffing shortages because you hate to think it might be just you know someone who is not doing what they need to do as a healthcare professional for me it sounds like a staffing issue what about you uh well i believe so i mean you know the medical centers definitely need more resources and um you know um, more trained staff you know definitely more professional help in those areas with people like doing a complete overhaul of our 
healthcare system so nobody like this or anybody in that matter, no families have to suffer the same fate, you know, with unanswered questions because, as I said, time is of the essence and, you know, getting answers and getting tests done and, you know, you shouldn't be left in a bed in the hallway. You shouldn't be left to be calling for help when you can't even move your own body. You know, these are things, you know, even um, as a province, you know, we're very kind people, compassionate, but to know that somebody is suffering without that compassion, you know, from healthcare professionals, it's just so disheartening and it's very scary. Of course it is. So you mentioned uh, the numbers of politicians. I think you mentioned uh, Mr. Trimper, Ms. Dempster, and Senator Fury and otherwise. What has the health authority itself said? Anything or have you spoken with anybody? Um, they actually said they're monitoring closely uh, to her case, which is, you know, not really true. Like, I've, I've been constantly emailing and saying, like, you know, well, we believe, like, you're not being given the, the correct information regarding this. And it's kind of just more of like, okay, just to, you know, keep things, um, more or less to keep them happy, you know, just being told things that aren't really true. So, being more detailed with our emails and actually keeping a timeline of, you know, every interaction of every doctor that they're speaking to. And even still, it's just, it seems we're at a standstill. It, it seems that they're just, you know, communicating back and forth, but what communication is happening when it's just, you know, no, nothing is being done, you know, it, it would be nice to know, like, somebody to reach out and say, well, this is our plan, this is the action plan, this is what we can do, as opposed to just saying they're monitoring. Absolutely. So I don't know what monitoring includes and whether that is also part of assessing whether or not a transfer to a larger center like the Health Sciences Center is required at this moment in time. I'm sorry that your friend is going through it and I'm sorry that you're actually feeling that type of pain as well about what you're seeing. Uh, if you can do me a favor, whether it be via email or otherwise, uh, let us know what happens here. Let us know if there's any move made for whether it be patient transfer and or better conditions for your friend. I'd appreciate it if you did that. Yeah, it's actually my sister-in-law. Oh, it's your sister, pardon me. Sister-in-law, yeah. okay. Yeah, her um, her husband is actually listening to the program right now. Um, you know, he, our family thinks very highly of you, and we know that you do a lot with regards to, you know, helping callers and finding adequate information. So we figured, you know, why not? You know, you're, you're a very great advocate for people of the province. So, you know, even if there's anything that you can think of, you know, I will provide my email address to your staff, and... Hopefully, you know, moving forward, I can call back and, you know, hopefully there will be a positive resolution to this. Maybe you can put it in the churn at Labrador Grenfell Health, not with just one spokesperson, but there's a way to file either compl compliments and or concerns or complaints so that you can have something in writing, for instance. I would always choose to do it via email versus a telephone call because it's hard to hold anyone to account with something that was said on the telephone versus yeah. something that you can refer back to. Well, this is what you said on Friday the September the 16th via email. It's an easy one, too. For all the health authorities, they have a very similar email address to lodge these things. I'd, I'd like getting things in writing so I can refer back. And in this case, it's just client.relations at lghealth.ca. Yes, we already contacted. Okay, good, because it's important to take that step. Yep. 
Absolutely. I wish you well. I wish I could flip a switch and make things easier and better on that front, but we can always try to be advocates for each other, healthcare and otherwise on this program. The more we talk about it, sometimes, sometimes, the better things uh, get or the more positive the outcomes will be. So fingers crossed for your your sister-in-law, and uh, I want to say a special good morning to her husband, and hopefully you hang in there, pal, because I know this is extremely difficult, difficult to go through. One of my close friends is dealing with a very serious matter with his wife right now. We're, we're pouring all our positive vibes her way, but I'm going to I'm going to share some with you, your sister-in-law, and her husband this morning. So keep me in the loop, and I wish you nothing but the best. All right. Thank you, Patty. Enjoy your day. You too. Take good care. All right. All bye right. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Oh, man. So, if anyone, you know, as usual... Some of the good suggestions and stuff don't necessarily always come from my head. They come from the heads of uh, others who are listening to the program. Anyway, let's take a break for the news. As I mentioned off the top of the show, there's going to be a different look for the Newfoundland Rogues this year. They've left the American Basketball Association. They're joining the Basketball League. And it has a relationship with the, Canada, the National Basketball League of Canada. Good news. So they have lots of opportunity to play. 40 games are going to be on the schedule, 28 of which will be at the Mary Brown Center, only 12 on the road. The ticket prices are quite affordable in and around $12. Many of the players that the Rogues had last year have moved on. So now becomes the effort for the management team, Tony Kenny and others, and specifically head coach Jerry Williams to refill that roster to be competitive in the Basketball League. Newfoundland Rogues coach Jerry Williams right after the news. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number one. Say good morning to the head coach of the Newfoundland Rogues, the now participating in the basketball league. That's Coach Jerry Williams. Good morning, Coach. You're on the air. Hey, how you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Excellent to have you on this morning. Once again, uh, Coach, you're from Jacksonville, Florida, are you? Yes, correct. Okay, I, th- I thought that when we went to click the button. Okay, so let's go back to last year just for a second. And, of course, that'll probably be part of the route as to why so many of their players have left the roster, moved on to other basketball opportunities. You know, you make your way to the province, you guys work hard, put together a nice roster, and all of a sudden, between COVID and other factors, it was a real downer of a season. How did you reflect on it after the season was ca- called off? Well, for me, I didn't stop working. You know, um, we were still trying to get things together. Uh, we knew with the COVID situation, like it was going to be hard for you know us to continue. But we didn't stop working. Um, Tony and I worked every single day from that time up until right now. We're still working right now. Um, you know, just trying because we knew we had a good product here, and when you know we knew if we did things the right way, like the fans here would really enjoy some good basketball. So, you know, we had good guys on the team, and we had I had some really good talent on the team. And like you said, now they're playing overseas and things of that nature, which it says a lot about the roster that we had last year. How does it complicate your recruiting efforts knowing that last season went the way it did? Well, I, a lot of people want to play for the Rose, believe it or not. Like a lot of people. Um, my phone does not stop ringing. Um, it hasn't stopped ringing since we left last year, to be honest with you. Um, now it's ringing off the hook even more. You know, I just have to take my time and don't rush things. You know, and just and bring the right style of play here and bring the right talent here because, um, you know, we want to do what's right for the, for the island. We want to do what's right for the fans. And, you know, I want to put a good product on the floor. It's amazing how basketball has changed over the years. You know, like when I was a kid, the Twin towers and it was all about the big man then it was showtime with the lakers and now it's all about being able to shoot the three what's the style that suits the rogues and your league the best 
Well, we want to we want to do both, you know, um, because we're playing interlocking games with the NBLC and with the TBL as well. So you know, the the teams are going to be different. Some teams will be smaller. Some teams will have bigger guys on it. So I want to have a mixture of both to where we can shoot the ball really well and we can also play down low. So um, you know, like you said, it is more of a Steph Curry league right now. So a lot of guys shooting the basketball. And you know, I got a 6'10 guy right now that I'm talking to, and he he can shoot the three better than some of the guards that I know, um, which is just a different game. But I want to put a product of all of it together on the floor. And like every league in basketball, taking care of the ball, number one. So, Coach, talk us through how you recruit, because you'll be familiar with not only the league that you just left, but other basketball players and all the universities in the United States and some of the Canadian talent. That's also out there. How do you go about recruiting? Because it's one thing when you have scouts all over the place and you're involved with, say, at the Premier League at the NBA, and you've got those long tentacles. What do you do? How do you recruit? Well, I recruit. I, I visit combines. A lot of combines happen in the United States. They happen pretty much every weekend. Um, somebody's throwing a combine somewhere. Um, I literally just left Dallas two weeks ago at this big-time combine that it was four guys that I actually want to bring to the island. You know, So that's how good the combine was. It was a private workout. Um, I deal with a lot of agents, and you know, they keep me in tune with what's going on, where it's going on at, and you know, I'll fly out to whatever city I need to or go to whatever gym I need to go to, and you know, just like the see the talent you know sometimes a lot of guys will send you film but film really doesn't tell the whole truth until you actually lay your eyes on them yourself yeah absolutely right I mean summer ball is huge in the United States so hopefully you'll have a successful tour because the time is of the essence it's kind of hard to you know I, I you said you didn't stop working and I believe that because it's a full-time gig regardless of how long the season is so what's the deadline yourself and Tony Kenny and others have said to make sure you're actually ready to go when the season kicks off well, we're we're all will be back January the fifth, and I have a two week um, vet camp. I'm a veterans camp for the guys, and I will pick my final roster on the 14th of January. So we'll go from the sixth to the 14th of you know training and, and seeing who can make it through my vet camp. And um, the guys that make it, you know, they'll they'll make the roster. So we're gonna bring some guys in, and you know, and let them go at it, and, and let them earn a spot. It's not just given. You know, if you want to be a part of the road, you're gonna have to earn it, and I'll make sure that they do everything that they need to do to earn it. So. Um, January the 14th, I will have my roster. Uh, give us an idea, like, for instance, in the world of hockey, which I'm much more familiar with, the major junior hockey league in this country has long been the, the grooming ground, the place where, you know, the young, prospect, young prospects develop into potential NHLers. But less than 1% of them ever skate a stride in the NHL. With all the hundreds of schools in the NCAA in particular, whether it be Division One or Two, give us an idea from your perspective just how few of them, who were great college players, never get a chance to play even for the rogues, for instance, because basketball is huge. You know, unlike some other sports like hockey, for instance, all you need is a ball and a hoop. So basketball players are everywhere. Sandlot, or pardon me, Sandlot, that's baseball. For playground basketball, it's a phenomenon in the United States. Just how many ball players are out there? For my, from where I sit, you know, not with the limited understanding I have, there must be thousands upon thousands or hundreds of thousands of ball players that are absolutely up to the task of playing for the rogues. The trick is getting to them and bringing them home. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's amazing how correct you are. Um, hundreds of thousands of basketball players come out of school and from other places each year. Only 2 to 3% of them ever play professional basketball. That's a small percentage, very, very small percentage compared to how big basketball is across the world. Um, a lot of those guys will never play professional. So, you know, some of the guys understand, like, they get the opportunity to come play professional at all, whether it's for the Rose, whether it's in Spain, whether it's in the G League, 
wherever, they're going to try, try to take full advantage of it because it's far few in between for you to ever get a roster spot on a professional team. It's very hard. No doubt about it. Uh, last one, because people who maybe didn't get a chance to see one of your games last year, the league, well, the old league that you just left, is there some overlap with how the games are decided and the kind of play that people saw when they went to see the Rogues last year? Have the rules changed for the new basketball league? Totally, totally changed. Um, last year we had different rules with the 3-day rule. You know, the ball turned over in the backcourt if you score. Three is four. If you score two is three points. Yeah. None of that is happening now. It's strictly NBA rules. Um, so if you watch a Toronto Raptors game play, the same style of play that you see there is the same style of play that you will see from us. Um, the only thing that we've taken from FIBA is the ball is live on the rim. But other than that, like you got your deep three-second defensive calls, just a technical foul. If you get called for that, it's all NBA rules, strictly 100%, besides the FIBA rule with the basketball on the um, rim. What does that mean, live on the rim? So no goaltending? So, no, it's, it's goaltending. So say you shoot the basketball and it, it hits the rim, I could knock it off. I can knock it off the rim, as long as it's not inside the cylinder. Yeah, right. Okay, and the cylinder, inside of course, extends. Inside the cylinder, it's a goal tin, yeah. Yeah, from the, the rim itself or to the ceiling is the cylinder. Uh, okay, so it's good to have you on this morning, Coach, and I wish you nothing but the best in recruiting the new talent to populate the Newfoundland Rogues for this upcoming season. Thanks for making All time right. for the show. And no problem. Just so you guys know, the um, tickets are on sale right now. They, like you said before, they're just over $12. I think it's twelve twenty-nine. Um, season tickets, they're on sale now, so we're trying to pack the house out and have everybody come see some good basketball. Well, you have the best venue in the league, I would imagine. For sure. <laughs> and the president of the league, uh, this fellow named uh, Magley, he was a first-round pick in the NBA, yeah. wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, interesting. I, I think I was two years old when that happened, but he was. <laughs> <laughs> You'll always be your first-round pick, Coach. <laughs> yeah, all right. Good to have you on. All right, thanks, man. All the best. Bye-bye. All right. That's Jerry Williams. He's the head coach of the Newfoundland Rogues. Love the accent. But just imagine, you know, for all the young aspiring athletes, it's great to look up at the guys who made it and the girls who made it. You know, that's the motivation. Who doesn't want to be the next Maggie Connors or the next Alex Newhook or Dawson Mercer or anybody like that? You know, or the, or the, uh, the champions of the past in any sport. But, you know, chase your dreams, as they say, you know, to use the old cliche, because you work hard enough, you just might get there. But just think about it. Just how many ball players in this case, that played at the highest levels, never get to dribble a ball in a pro league. Hundreds of thousands of uh, basketball players. And then that stat always jumps off the page of me regarding hockey. And I'll chase it. If you think you got it, not only the drive, determination, and the skill, go for it. Uh, less than 1% of CHL players, major junior players in this country, ever skate a stride in the NHL. Less than 1%. Amazing. Now, of course, it's a global product. You know, just look at the NHL. The roster is made up of players from, oh, I don't know how many countries, but a lot of countries. Let's take a break. When we come back, I believe it's Trucker Appreciation Week. Chris Howler from Akita Equipment is in the queue, and then it's you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number two. Say good morning to Chris Howler from Akita Equipment. Good morning, Chris. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, Patty. How's everything going today? Excellent today. How about you? I'm all right, man. You sound pretty excited when you're talking about sports. You, uh, you, you, you get, you get so excited. You get ramped up. Pretty cool. Does it really sound like that? Oh man, I think I think that you live and breathe sports. I think uh, you, you talk about sports the way I feel about trucking. So that's the way it is. I guess. Well, I do enjoy it, and I can talk sports all day. But, of course, so many issues that we need to broach, and I'm happy to do that as well. Uh, let's talk about the industry. First off, let's talk about what you got going on today. Then we'll talk about your industry. Today we're just we're having a, a little appreciation barbecue uh, open to any, any truck drivers or well, truckers that want to come in. 
uh, have a quick snack and have a chat and just uh, say thanks for everything that they do. Of course, we live on this all, and you know that we can't do anything without trucks. We're not like the rest of Canada. We already have different modes of transportation that that uh, that that you know that, that they can uh, that they can use. But trucking is a big thing here in Newfoundland, and I think that we uh, we need to recognize that. Absolutely, it's interesting that you mention other parts of the country. When we lived in Alberta, it was a steady belt of trains. I mean, all day long, every single day, endless stream of trains, along with, of course, a lot of trucks on the road. Do you think how people have talked about the trucking industry in particular? Because it used to be, unless you were working it, you probably didn't give it much thought. You walked into the store, something was on the shelf, you bought it. You didn't think about how it got there, whether it be Ocean X, Marine Atlantic, and then into one of your rigs. Do you think the way people think and talk about trucking has changed, given what we've seen in the last couple of years? I know you know what I'm getting at. I, I think it went for a real positive note during the pandemic. I think that uh, people really did, you know, look at say, "Gee whiz, we need, we need these cars." I think we got a little bit of a tarnished reputation when, you know, the uh, anyway, the fools in Ottawa did what they did and made made us look a little bit. Uh, a little bit sideways. I mean, we can't agree to and disagree with all of what what went on there. I think that was a whole different thing. But I think it did give give you know truck drivers a little tiny bit of a tarnished reputation after coming out of a you know a two year hero uh, heroism type of deal. Well, I mean, it's important to note that so many of the people at some of those blockades and protests were not truckers. So uh, let's let's make that separation well understood. The trucking industry, like many different industries in the country, we're talking about labor shortage. It's long been a problem for trucking companies to make sure that you've got the number of drivers to take on the contracts you need to be profitable Patty, i think we're in i mean you know we we often hear about the, you know the price of fuel and the price of this but you know trucking industry right now i mean to get good guys to uh, retain good guys like i know our personal selves here our salaries have gone up uh, you know quite drastically this this year past and uh, it's very hard, man. You wouldn't understand. Like, I mean, you know, you, you you're reading a lot and you know different different news outlets and stuff. But truck drivers right now are, are uh, you know a diamond. Like, you know, you got to grab them, you got to hold them, you got to nurture them, you got to try to do what you can to keep those people because it can't move without it, right? That coupled with the fact that not only do you need good, competent drivers that are willing to stay with you, but some of the worry that some people have, I guess, based on incidents we've seen on the road, is not only do you need the drivers, but you need to make sure they're up to snuff. They meet the standards. They got the kind of training before they hit the road. Well, Pat, there's a lot of that going on more more west than Newfoundland, but uh, but yes, there's there's so many things going on right now where truckers, you know, different drivers are hard in different different uh, different facets of business in, in different areas in Newfoundland. That uh, yeah, there's definitely an issue with that. There's definitely a major safety issue uh, going on for sure all over Canada and. And it's uh, yeah, so it's it's a hard hard subject to talk about. Um, to try to keep it uh, keep it between the lines, I guess. Yeah, I get it. So you know, in some sectors, whether it be uh, retail or hospitality or stuff, some people might not want to do it because of the way they're treated or uh, dealing with the general public or how they get paid. But the truckers can make a good buck. They really certainly can. Now there's some solitude uh, to it. But what do you think are some of the issues that you have to? have to talk about to make it more attractive for people who'd like to get a job, earn good money, and be a truck driver? Well, Pave, you look at it just from the just from the Newfoundlanders' perspective, okay? They're just hiring drivers in Newfoundland. So, you know, we're you know, our, our guys here I think are from seventy five, say, to about a hundred and four thousand dollars a year. So it's very easy uh, to look 
look, if you lived in Ontario, you could have a job that you worked five days a week. You would have no issue about getting home on your fifth day. But when we got guys that leave here, go to Montreal for a trip, um, you know, you get to the ferry, the ferry's blocked. Um, so you lose a day there. Then you get up, you do your you do your delivery, you come back down, you have no obstacles again. Then you get to the ferry and the winds are up for two days. So, you know, um, again, you stop places to, you know, to use the facilities or to have a meal or to get a shower. Well, you know, if me or you go to work today, we know that we're going to go home, sit down to our, our supper at our own table. And when we finish our supper, we're going to be able to go in and get a shower or watch TV. And so, so these guys are doing a, is a, is a pretty different lifestyle to what most you know 95 percent of people in the world are used to so uh, it is uh, it is a hard uh, is a hard is a hard pill to swallow for some people and other people really enjoy it they, they enjoy the solitude as you said so it's it's hard to find a happy medium of people to put in the seats these trucks to keep everything moving you know i hear from truck drivers all the time to be honest uh, a couple in particular they send me notes each and every day uh last one before i let you go and then we'll give the details about the barbecue again today there was a lot of concern being shared by truckers about some of the capacity issues on marine atlantic and being forced to share a berth or a room with other drivers that they may or may not know has anything changed Okay, I, I, you get emails from truckers every day. I'm sending Marine, Marine Atlantic emails every day. Regarding that, no, it's uh, it's cha- it's not changed. Um, it's no is no better for sure. Um, it's costing us, you know, the stakeholders, you know, the, you know, it's costing us, you know, five and six thousand dollars a month extra, which in, in in you know at the end of the line, you guys are paying it, the, the cost consumers. But no, they're, they're not moving the the trucks like they should. Um, the traffic is not moving in a fluid manner, and it can't because uh, there, there's just no. They're not keeping the rooms for the drivers as they say they they have these 35 rooms available. If you you know there's a, uh, a website you can look at what they're moving every night. They're lucky to move 20 to 25 trucks a night, and if they go over that, then the drivers do not have places to stay. So you know as early. As last week, we had messages come back say, "Hey, we can put some trucks on the boat, but we have no accommodations for you." So, um, you know, and, and that's happening on a weekly basis. So, so no, that that front has not changed, and hopefully, you know, this winter when we slow down, of course, you know, all of us tr- trucking companies got get really busy in the summer. Everything changes, you know, and uh, and I ha- we haven't had enough time to fight with them, I guess, and and, and that's going to change a little bit more now in the next upcoming months of hope because that's not just about comfort that's also about potential safety issues so that the drivers can be rested while they take the crossing this just popped in my mind and then i'll let you go is i know you wrapped one of your trailers in the music nl banner so i think jerry stamp a buddy of mine local musician graphic designer he designed it to wrap one of your trailers why'd you do that um patty i guess i i love music and i spend a lot of time beating around different places, I guess bars, I'm going to say, but uh, listening to the different music. And uh, a lot of these guys and girls are friends of ours. And uh, it was just something I thought. I, I met uh, Rhonda Lane's husband one day in Costco and said, Mark, uh, I'm thinking about doing this and I'd like to uh, promote Newfoundland artists. And he said, you know, that's crazy. Let me talk to Rhonda. And that's where it went from there. There was no real big plan in it. It was just, uh, I thought it was something that needed to uh to uh, to be known and uh, we, we did it on a reefer trailer so uh in the summer uh, that trail like that particular trailer we run it from here to boston to montreal and back with fresh fish 
So uh, I just think it would reach out to people. I'd like to bring more people in Newfoundland. I mean, you know, we're we're all about. I mean, we complain sometimes about how how it's a little bit harder in the summer to get around because of these tourists. But they really help us. You know, oh, yeah. help out the economy. And and you know, if there's more food comes to Newfoundland, well, we bring more food. Or if there's more. You know, towels that need to come to Newfoundland. Well, truckers bring that too. So, so it helps my business too to promote Newfoundland. I think it's great. I saw the picture of the trailer. I can see it in my mind's eye. It's pretty cool looking and good exposure. You know, lots of reasons to come here. And if people knew how vibrant the music scene was, they could add that to the list. Okay, Chris, uh, barbecue time. What's the details? One more, one more time. So, my sales staff are going to have a barbecue here today, starting at eleven till two. Just some hot dogs, hamburgers, and uh, you know some refreshments. Whatever, whatever we need to do to just uh, just say thanks and uh, just you know shake a few hands. And you say here, where's here at your uh, oh, depot, sorry. the office? Yeah, yeah, yeah two sixty Paddy's Pound Road, right on the highway. Uh, you know, m- most people in the trucking industry know where we're to, and uh, and those who don't, well, you're more than welcome to come as well and have a look around. Appreciate the time, Chris. Stay go, uh, stay well. Thanks, Paddy. Have a good day, buddy. You See too, you. man. All the best, it's Chris Howlett yeah, from Akita Equipment. Uh, all right, that's pretty cool stuff. And you know. Some of these things that might seem like a small issue, wrapping a reefer trailer in a Music NL picture and uh, description, I think is really cool. You know, if you love one thing or another, and in this case, I've seen Chris at a few shows, is to, you know, reflect your love of it. And it's some pretty free advertising for Music NL, seen for what, Boston, Montreal, and back, and all spots in between. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, today's a great day. I mean, Friday's usually really brisk. If you're in the St. John's metro region, you want to bring up a topic of your choosing, expand on what you've heard, the number to dial to speak with David Williams and get in the queue, 273-5211. Elsewhere, toll-free, long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. We're taking a break, and then we are coming back. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Just before we get to the lines, uh, putting this shout out there for the folks at Mary Brown Center. This evening we're hosting Sting in concert. A couple of things they want the ticket holders to know. If you are planning on going to Sting tonight, there's a, a security screener process that you need to be aware of. All the patrons will undergo a bag check and handheld medical detection screening before entry, so they're encouraging the patrons to arrive early to allow enough time to go through the security so that you don't miss any of the show. So there's going to be, it might be time-consuming to go through security tonight if you go see Sting, but that's the deal, so get there early so you don't miss a note. Let's go. Okay, let's stick with the open road. This time, not in a transport truck, but on a motor coach belonged to DRL. They've struck a cool partnership with the Big Feed Club to be able to deliver some Costco goods to where you are along the 21 stops that DRL, DRL has across the province. Brad Russell from the Big Feed Club joins us on one. Bradley, you're on the air. Uh, good morning, Patty. How are you? Couldn't be better this morning. How about you? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for uh, having me on this morning. I'm happy to do it. Like We talk about food and access to food here all the time. Now with the spike in the price of fuels, diesel and gasoline, people who might have taken that weekend trip into Costco to stock up, they're probably not doing it anymore because it's simply too expensive, even though they can find the deals they're looking for at Costco. But you've got a solution. What do you got going? Yeah, so for people who are unaware, uh, we own uh, Big Feed Club Grocery Delivery, which is primarily based on Northeast Avalon, so we do uh, home and business delivery. Uh, We've recently struck a partnership with DRL Coach Lines uh, to be able to distribute uh, those products that we uh, deliver uh, to the 20-odd stops right across the province, so from St. John's right to Port of Basque. 
So uh, we're a little bit, uh, we had uh, aimed to be up and running by uh, midsummer, but we're a little bit delayed with our warehouse renovations, but we should be up and running by midfall. So uh, we're counting down the days right now. It's uh, It's been a, a, an amazing feedback so far. We had almost 2,000 people uh, sign up to the list to be the first to know on uh, exactly when we're up and running. So, uh, I mean, just the response has been incredible. So how does it work to be involved with it? And what exactly are you doing? Uh, so the way it works is that uh, we have a, a slew of shoppers that go into Costco right now. Uh, eventually, we'll be uh, partnering with local businesses once our roots are up and running and established. Uh, so local farms and local food producers. Uh, but for right now, we uh, we primarily focus on Costco goods. Uh, people go to our website at uh, www.bigfeedclub.ca. Uh, they place their order, and uh, they pick their time and date that they want uh, that delivery uh, to show up, and that's when uh, it happens. Uh, so it'll be a very similar process for uh, our partnership with DRL. Uh, people would place their order like regular, and they choose the stop uh, that is closest to them along the, the, the current um, DRL coach line's route. Uh, we package, we pick with care, so uh, we tell our, uh, our pickers that uh, shop like you, you're, you're going to be shopping for your grandmother. Uh, so make sure that all that produce is good and uh, uh, and all the, the, the products are up to spec. Uh, we pack them with, uh, if they're cool or frozen, with uh, insulated um, uh, packaging along with uh, ice packs uh, or uh, gel ice packs. Uh, they are packaged uh, in our warehouse. Uh, they go on the DRL bus, and then they get dropped off to the designated stop that you choose along, the, along that route. So if I go to Galway to Costco, is everything in the store food-wise available to the folks who are going to use your program? For the most part, yes. Now, the I mean, Costco does add new products consistently, uh, so that there are occasions where I mean, Costco would have a new product that we may not have listed. Uh, and if there's something that uh, a customer uh, would like to see added, uh, we'd be happy to do that for them. Now, I can't get a pack of underwear or a pair of jeans or something, can I? <laughs> Uh, we aren't focusing on uh, clothing quite yet. Uh, I mean, th- th- we certainly had the possibility of expanding uh, our product offering to uh, non-food products in the future. But right now, we focus on food. We think that it's really, really important, um, it, to your point, that uh, you know pr- food prices are going up um, considerably uh, over the last number of months and uh, this part of the year. Uh, so uh, we wanted to make sure that we can provide those great deals uh, right across the province. So we've done a lot of price comparisons um, to uh, grocery stores across the province. And more often than not, I mean, on a volume basis, we will be the more affordable option. You know, we won't be the cheapest for every single product because, you know, uh, there are differing supply chains. But for more often than not, for fresh foods, we will be the most affordable option. Do you just uh, assign a percentage for your company and for DRL, or is there a standard fee for the delivery? How does yes. that work? So uh, right now we mark up our products around 15%. Uh, now that uh, varies because of price changes. You know, there's been uh, months where our markup is probably only 7 to 8%. Uh, it really depends on what people order and, and, and how quick prices are changing. 
Uh, and then uh, DRL takes uh, a percentage, and we also attack on a percentage for uh, packaging uh, and the logistics for it. So, you know, we have to send a shopper into the store, uh, bring it back to our warehouse, make sure, inspect it, package it with thermal packaging if required, ice packs, boxes, uh, and then dropped off to DRL. So it's a bit of a process, uh, but uh, after... Uh, our markup and the uh, the shipping fees are included. Like I said, uh, more often than not, we are the more affordable option. I, I would imagine, just with the price of fuel alone, let alone wear and tear on a vehicle. Uh, last one, I mean, I think it's a great program, and hopefully it's going to be a big success. A lot of people turn to Costco for things like the prescription drugs and eyeglasses and the like. I just put that out there because I know that they do brisk business on that front. I don't know if that would be manageable. I'm not even going to ask you to broach that at this moment in time. Okay. I want to sign up. I want to be recipient in a big feed club at a DRL stop what do I do yeah, so you can go to bigfeedclub.ca. Uh, at the top of the page, we have uh, some information about our DRL partnership, like I said, which will be up and running mid-fall. Uh, you can click on that. It'll show you the communities that we service, what times the products will be dropped off to those communities, uh, and you can sign up uh, to be the first in the know. So uh, if you sign up, uh, you, uh, you will be emailed or you'll be notified when we're up and running, uh, and we might have some special discounts for some, uh, for some of our early customers. I love it. Uh, congrats. Congratulations. Good luck with this, Bradley. All right. Thank you so much, Patty. You have a lovely day. You too, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye. Bradley Russell, The Big Feed Club and DRL. Let's go. Line number three, say good morning to the president of the Pharmacist Association of Newfoundland and Labrador, commonly known as PANEL. That's Janice Adu. Good morning, Janice. You're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing terrific today. Thank you. I, I read with great interest this morning, and this has been years in the work. You and your members and your fellow pharmacists have been hoping that the province would see the light and expand the scope of practice for pharmacists. We've heard it before, but how do you receive this news as told to us by Minister Osborne uh, yesterday? Mm-hmm. We're a lot more optimistic right now. Um, you know, it seems that we've, we've gotten a bit more of a commitment from government um, to allow uh, residents of the province to be able to access pharmacists for some health care, which will help to take a big strain off emergency rooms and off walking clinics. You know, we're seeing the emergency rooms just either closed for no staff or just completely overrun with people. And uh, there's a lot we can do to take some of the burden off of those folks. So we're uh, we're feeling pretty optimistic right now. That's good news. I mean, we speak with you and I quote uh, Kara O'Kee for Kathy Balsam on this program all the time because it's not just about helping people, which is, of course, your number one focus, but it must be frustrating to be so hamstrung or handcuffed knowing that I know what I'm doing, I have the training and the accreditation, and yet I'm just not allowed to do it based on legislation. The frustration must be real amongst your colleagues. Yeah, it's very frustrating, especially, you know, when you've got someone standing in front of you and you know you could help, but, you know, maybe there's a fee attached that they can't afford and you know they can't afford it and I mean the only other option is to you know send them to 811 or send them to outpatients because there's nothing that we can do because of legislation even though we know we could or because there's a fee barrier so we're pretty optimistic to see that government is considering making these uh, accessible not just through legislation but hopefully through compensation for pharmacists to provide the service as well so it's it's very promising right now. We're feeling good. It started with baby steps, you know, the ability to administer the vaccines, for instance. Give folks some concrete examples of things that you could and should be doing but currently are not allowed. So currently a big one is uh, prescription experience 
extensions. Well, we are allowed to do this, but there is a fee barrier. So instead of, you know, your pharmacist who knows you, sees you regularly, being able to just extend your prescription, um, sometimes there's a fee involved with that. So a lot of people end up having to go through 811 or having to go through their emergency department. Um, we're looking at that becoming hopefully uh, something people can access. But in terms of things we can't do right now, so prescribing for some um, minor ailments or for some simple things that we could be keeping people out of ERs. The big one is urinary tract infections. So in lots of other provinces across the country, pharmacists can actually prescribe for urinary tract infections depending on how complex. So, uh, you know, that's something that really sends people to eMERGE, even if they have a family doctor. If they can't get in for two weeks, it's something, you know, they need treatment ASAP. It's very uncomfortable and uh, can get out of hand very quickly if it's not treated. So uh, that's something that we could be doing and currently legislation prevents us from doing. Um, so, and also we're not allowed to like initiate, um, medications for things like blood pressure. Um, we're not allowed to order lab values. So a big thing that we see is people getting prescriptions renewed for months on end, but not getting any blood work done. So for example, if you're on a medication for blood pressure, like, uh, Ramipril, for example, you should be getting your kidney levels checked and your potassium levels checked every, you know, six months or so, or to make sure that everything things looking good, that there's um, the dose is still okay, that your potassium levels are normal. Potassium can be involved in your heart function, so it's really important. But when we keep renewing these prescriptions and not checking those levels, um, it can be a recipe for disaster, and people do end up and emerge with complications from some of these things. And, you know, we have the training and the ability to assess those levels and adjust dose bases on those um, levels. So that's another thing that we could be doing more of, and there's lots of examples of medications that require monitoring. Another big one is diabetes. So for people who don't have family doctors right now, often having their A1C going unchecked and their diabetes getting further out of control, and we're unable to check it, and we could intervene and help, but right now legislation doesn't allow us to do that. So we're starting with the, the most accessible things to really help people in terms of our healthcare stresses right now, but, but we're really hoping that this momentum continues to more chronic disease management as well. Uh, last one. To the best of your knowledge, when the, the, the minister says, you know, expect an announcement soon, does that mean they're actually working on changing the legislation or they're trying to further understand the scope of practice that they will expand for you? Because it's fine to say, well, we're working towards expanding the scope of practice, but it's all based on getting in the House of Assembly and amending the legislation. So is that work ongoing? As far as we know, that work is underway. So okay. um, we're just kind of waiting to see what what comes from that. Um, you know, that's that's why I think we're feeling a little bit more optimistic. It's more that we feel there's some concrete movement happening this time around. So uh, we're optimistic. I mean, obviously, we have to wait and see what happens from those discussions with government. Um, but we've been, you know, government is well aware of what we can do. We've been years taking this information to them uh, for consideration. And um, I, I think, you know, given the current state of our healthcare system, they're really looking at things a little bit more seriously now because we really need to take some stress off of the folks in eMERGE and in 811 and, and really take care of our residents. So we're really hoping to see some movement on this stuff soon. Fingers crossed. I always appreciate your time, Janice. Thanks so much, Patty. Take care. Bye-bye. As Janice Adu, she's the president of the panel. That's the Pharmacist Association of Newfoundland and Labrador. This only makes sense, right? Doesn't it? It just makes sense. Uh, before we get to the break, let's go to two. Good morning, Terry Burns. You're on the air. Good morning, Benny. How are you this morning? Excellent today. How are you doing? 
Good, Albany. Good. I just want to throw you the bouquet flowers to HGOE there in the town of Herbert Race. Their uh, company was started there, I'd say, seven, eight years ago, nine years ago, in the boat building business. They just launched uh, barge last week, 120 odd feet by 30 odd feet wide, by 33 or 34 foot high for the agriculture here in, the, in, the, in our province. And I like to give him uh, a big hand out there when he's all local boys are cutting this steel, fabricating it on site, and building these terrific pieces of equipment. Unbelievable what's going on in here in Everest. So you said uh, HGOC, so is Harbour Grace Ocean Enterprises you're talking about? Yes, talking about Kevin English and Paul Landon there and uh, Wayne Reed. Yeah, Breaky, uh, who was part of it at the beginning back in 2016, Jason. Yeah. Yeah, yeah great break, stuff. Yeah. I, I know a lot of the boys, and the first vessel that rolled off, I believe, was a, uh, a fishing vessel, the Nelly Seas. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that, but I think that was the first boat they built out there. I mean, it's amazing that it was so many years, decades, between when Harper Grace Ocean Enterprises came to town, uh, between then and when the last boat building company was in town. So these are cool stories. It's a good business. We need to build on it. There's certainly lots of activity that can take on there. But just describe one more time the barge, who it's for, what it's for. The barge, they just finished launching last week. They couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't launch her with their lift. They had to take her down to the end of their marina there. Oh. And they had to get her towed up because the infrastructure that they got there right now today, is their infrastructure is outlived what it needs to be doing there. And they've been fighting with the government for years trying to get some funding to make their infrastructure bigger so they can do these bigger jobs. I mean, years ago, they came up with all the stimulus money and they've been fighting trying to get... I mean, they don't want all of the money from the government. They were going to put it in their shares like everything else. But it's hard by trying to get money out of the government to further align their business. And as I said, when you're looking at their employing 100, 120 people and all local boys from the Salmon Club to Bay Roberts to Magazines. And these are our local boys who are building these fabulous jobs down here when it comes to the boats. And this barge is built 120 odd foot long, 30, 30 odd foot wide, 34 foot high. <laughs> it's going to be going down to agriculture on the south coast. And there's no engines in door, just generators. And she's going to sit out there and put the feed into each one of the, the pins, you know? I think it's good stuff, and I'm sure they appreciate the shout-out for not only the owners, the operators, and the employees at the Harbor Grace, Harbor Grace Ocean Enterprises. Thanks a lot for this, Terry. And you have a wonderful day, Patty, and you listen. You're a man who loves listening to you every day. You're a very knowledgeable man. I appreciate that kind word. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Stay in touch. You take care. Okay, Terry. Bye-bye. All right, let's take a break. We did mention off the top of the program that the FFAW launched a new health and safety campaign primarily focus on plant workers because the risks are real, whether it be for shellfish uh, asthma and some of the ergonomic concerns and the, the strains that they feel from these the same motions day after day after day. We'll talk to Jason Spingle from the FFAW after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number one, say good morning to the Secretary Treasurer at the FFAW. That's Jason Spingle. Good morning, Jason. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Welcome to the program. Uh, I, I read the story this morning about the fact your union is launching a new health and safety program that affects your members, primarily plant workers. What are you working on? Yeah, so this is uh, an ongoing campaign uh, or ongoing issue, I guess. And, uh, 
in uh, 2019, we uh, we were partially successful when a subcommittee was established by Workplace NL. Uh, but it's been three years, and and very little, if anything, has been done really to implement uh, safety in our workplaces. And uh, you know, we've uh, we've really uh, done some good work with the Newfoundland Fish Harvester Safety uh, Council association there I should say and, uh, and and really look forward to building on that however uh, as you alluded to you know you look at our uh, plants and our industrial workplaces in general uh, fish plants very uh, most are protracted seasons a lot of work in a short period of time uh, and um, you know and a lot of uh, pressures put on uh, to uh, to get the work done, uh, but we know that there's a lot of safety gaps there. You mentioned shellfish asthma, you know, uh, repetitive strain injuries, uh, these type of issues, and we uh, certainly uh, need to address these uh, if we're going to have a, a, a better workplace for our members. You know, I guess they all come with a different required approach, but for instance, with a uh, risk of the repetitive strain injuries, what can you practically do there? Because the job is the job is the job. Is it about breaks in between or stretching times allowed? Or Because, you know, we're talking about shellfish asthma. We can talk about ventilation and personal protective equipment. But how do you deal with the the repetitive strain injury? Yeah, so the, the setup, the ergonomics, I guess, is the word that's, that's most often used. Uh, all those things that you outlined are important. However, having uh, the right setup, uh, whether uh, the, uh, the stations for people uh, and uh, having different... Uh, Different setups can really make a big improvement, and I think there's a lot of work done in other areas, but we, we, we need to make sure that uh, these things are looked at. And so this campaign is going to focus on Workplace NL and our provincial government, who are responsible for the legislation, as well as the employers themselves. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a saying in the workplace, an injury to one is an injury to all, but the cost to have, uh, to have these type of injuries is significant to everyone. Everyone, we all pay when, when workers are injured, whether it's something that's chronic or, uh, and, or something that's more acute. Um, and we need, to, we need to ensure that we, well, look to eliminate these things. I guess that's a, that's a big, big task. But we're not going to do it unless we have the specific, um, specific panel set up, the subcommittee there, like we've done with fish harvesting. We see the improvements we've made there, and that's what we're focused on doing. So we'll have a number of uh, different uh, tools, uh, videos, uh, graphics, information put out there, and uh, we hope that the government will, will, will focus on getting this, uh, getting the uh, subcommittee in place uh, more formally and, and working on these things. The other point I would say is, uh, you know, if you have more severe injuries, right now we see the health care crisis, and particularly in our rural areas, it was Bonavista Vista recently or Trinity that lost their emergency services. Um, if these aren't available and you have a serious workplace injury, when you know you have plants in places like Mary's Harbor uh, or Harbor Breton, uh, what type of situation could that uh, lead to? Um, you know, we, we don't really want to think about the situation that could occur, but but it's real, and we have to we have to focus on that. So it's all built in there together. So we're hoping that uh, you know our politicians uh, and government officials and our employers are going to start taking. Uh, uh, a real serious look at these issues, 
and uh, make improvements as we go forward. It's one thing to have uh, subcommittees, whether it be with a politician, plant workers, Doretta, or whoever on it. Does this need a to be enshrined in uh, for, formalized and enforceable regulations with OHS and or legislation? Because it's one thing to understand the problem, another thing to address it to ensure that not just because my plant owner chooses to do it, but because they have to do it. I, I think it's a combination of both, absolutely. So I really appreciate that point. And, uh, yeah, I would say it's a combination of the, of the uh, advocacy, of the training, uh, of the research, but also of the legislation. So uh, that, that, that would be, uh, I would say, a combination of both is, is absolutely essential there. Last one before I have to get to the news. So, unfortunately, uh, tomorrow is, is one-year anniversary of the last time anybody saw Mark Jenkins and Joey Russell. You know, we know it's a perilous job. It's an extremely dangerous profession, whether it be in the plant, but most certainly out on the water. You know, the sad part is we have to learn lessons after the fact. What have we learned? Because, you know, one of the lad's fathers immediately bought all those E-perbs for the vessels for, I believe it was Labrador Shrimp Company. So what do we do? I mean, we know we had Defense Minister Anita Anand in Labrador not long ago talk about investments in five-wing goose bay, but no additional capacity in search and rescue. But that's only after the fact when someone's lost as well. What do we need to do to make it safer and to ensure that if and when you haven't reported in and or known senior or heard from you, that we can get to you quicker? Is it a matter of ma- mandating the EPIRBs and the like? Because these sad stories just happen far too often. Yeah, I I was gonna I was gonna end with mentioning because uh, I saw that this morning and was certainly on my calendar as well. Uh, you know, uh, Mark and Joey. Uh, and first of all, I want to send out our thoughts to their families and all the people of Labrador, and uh, you know, and as well as um, others that we've lost over. Um, you know, almost every year, I guess we we lose someone in the fishing industry. To answer your question. Certainly, uh, Labrador uh, needs uh, search and rescue, improved search and rescue facilities uh, and uh, people there to to address those issues, Um, people with the Coast Guard search and rescue. So we support that for sure. I think I mentioned the uh, Fish Harvester Safety Association. Uh, We're really building on some good work. And uh, we've, we've put uh, hundreds, uh, well, I should say thousands of personal locator beacons out to harvesters now uh, in all vessel sizes uh, at, a, at a very much reduced cost. Uh, a significant uh, safety device that will, um, I would say, go as far, I was going far to say it will actually prevent tragedies at some point, but certainly... Uh, provide a lot more security so we're continuing to build on these things and and uh, i would say uh, both of these go hand in hand uh to to making uh you know this work safer because it's always going to be dangerous it's always going to be difficult and we we have to uh continue to work to make the uh to try to improve each each and every day is what i would say and uh yeah again i just say it's um it's going to be a sad uh, time.
for, for particularly the people of Labrador, and, and we're all thinking about them. I sometimes I forget and shouldn't be using uh, acronyms. EPIRB is, of course, an emergency position indicating radio beacon so that we can find you quicker. Uh, very last one before I really am late for the news. What's the type of conversation being had with the Department of Fisheries and Oceans regarding the macro fishery? It seems like an error has been made. The anecdotal reports and what I've seen with my own two eyes is that the mackerel are back in full force, yet we're not fishing them. Is there any engagement with uh, Minister Murray? Is there any consideration or reconsideration taking place? I'm glad you asked that, uh, Patty, because uh, uh, we had just uh, had our leadership. We had uh, seven harvesters, long-time harvesters, uh, harvesters that have fished mackerel for uh, anywhere from 30 to 40 years. Uh, from all throughout the province on with senior officials and science with the Department of Fisheries and Oceans yesterday. And we actually had a very, very good conversation. Uh, I think they're, uh, they're unfortunately, uh, they're bound by their scientific process. However, our members in particular were uh, very strong and got the message across. I spoke to a DFO official after who said, we certainly heard what you said. We also had a uh, uh, one of our staff members had a slideshow done of the pictures and videos. And uh, what we said is we're missing something here. There's no doubt about it. The egg survey that occurs in the southern Gulf isn't applicable to what we're seeing. And uh, they said they would have uh, uh, very serious discussions about this issue, and we can, as I said before, uh, decisions. I mean, if you look at something, everyone agrees mackerel is a highly migratory fish. Uh, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. I think everyone feels that there's major gaps there. And uh, the minister, she has the ultimate power, Minister Murray, to allocate some uh, quota for this year is needed in order to do an appropriate science. But we're looking at other aspects ourselves. So it was a good conversation. Harvesters very professionally put out their frustrations, but more importantly, their points. And we can only hope that uh, that the uh, people in the department listened. I believe they did, and we hope for more positive news on that soon. Appreciate the time this morning, Jason. Yeah, and wishing you a good weekend, Patty, to you and all your listeners. You too. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. All right, bye-bye. Jason Spingle, Secretary-Treasurer at the FFAW. We're going to take a break for the news, but I appreciate the patience of Colin. He's out in Port El Elgin. We're going to talk about what's going on out in Green Bay South right after this. Don't go away. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go line four, Colin. You're on the air. Hey, Patty. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Happy to do it. Um, thanks. Um, I'm originally from Newfoundland. I've been away for a number of years. Um, I just want to give a shout-out to the uh, Green Bay South area, and that's from Southbrook down through to Triton, Brighton, Miles Gulf, Long Island, Roberts Arm, Pillies Island, Port Anson. Uh, a lot of good things are happening down there from a tourist perspective. Uh, there's uh, some... A new restaurant, or I guess a new uh, inn in, in Pillies Island there. Uh, it's been around for a couple of years, uh, the Bumblebee Inn. But uh, they're um, in the area now in the next next weekend, actually the 24th, they've got a uh, their second annual Hung Out to Dry, uh, basically, uh, event. Uh, and it's all the communities get engaged, and uh, all the uh, local people in their different communities hang all their uh, quilts. 
out on the line. It's a little bit different uh, than you'd uh, typically see, but it's a it's community uh, display of, of the uh, art and the, uh, I guess, the, the quilts that they make throughout the years, and they just put them on display for people to drive through the communities and take a look at. And I think it's pretty cool. Uh, my 93-year-old grandmother uh, in Long Island, she'll be participating uh, this year again. She was actually uh, on a news story. I'm not sure if it was VOCM or, or NTV there last year. Uh, but uh, it's pretty cool that uh, they're, they're doing these things and bringing, uh, uh, I guess, attention to the Green Bay South area. Yeah, I, I take this the right way. Um it's very Newfoundland <laughs> for the hanging of the quilt to be an attraction, and I'm sure it's, it's exactly that. Absolutely, and uh, it's been well-received, and, uh, and it's on Facebook and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, for uh, I think it's the uh, September the 24th, um, and uh, Long Island's having their fall fair at the same time, so I just want to put a plug out to the people in that area. Uh, I'm too far away to join and participate, but... Hey, it's a, it's a great thing to bring people into communities. Uh, absolutely. So you mentioned some of the communities. So outside of Green Bay South would be the places like Harry's Harbor and Kings Point, uh, Nikki's Nose Cove and the like, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. That, that's more true Green Bay. We're on the Green Bay South side, uh, side of things. We're in Badger Bay, Halls Bay, and, and that area. Got it. South I'm glad you made time for the show. How's life in Ontario? Buddy, we miss home every day. And... Uh, and there's so many uh, so many things that draw us back there. We we actually bought a cottage back there uh, a couple of years ago, and we've turned it into a Airbnb. Uh, but uh, we want to be home. So one day, hopefully in the near future. Well, I appreciate your time this morning and hustle home. All right, thanks, Patty. Take care. Enjoy your weekend. You too, man. All the best, Colin. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. Should I stay on time with the breaks there, Dave? Is that a good idea? <laughs> Leave it to me to stay on time. All right, quick checking down the Twitter box. We're VOCM Open Line. You can follow us there. We talked to uh, Chris Howard at Akita Equipment this morning in the trucking industry. And, of course, I mentioned that I hear from truckers all the time, including Tony Power. We also spoke with a fella giving a shout-out to the crowded uh, Harbor Grace Social Enterprises. The airbags used to launch that barge, Tony got them, going back to Louisiana with them. So safe travels, Tony. Always appreciate the notes. Thanks for tuning in. Let's take a break. When we come back, Chris is in the queue. He wants to talk about climate action. Then we're speaking with you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Chris. You're on the air. Good morning. Uh, welcome from sunny Bolene. Oh, Bolene. Nice to have you on the program. Wonderful. Thing. I just wanted to let you and your listeners know an event that's taking place in the grounds of our community center tomorrow. It's Bolene Climate Action Day, second time we've held it, and it'll be uh, consisting on the grounds of the community center about 12 exhibitors, about 15 tables and booths, both informational and interactive. Uh, that'll demonstrate various aspects of an environmental sustainability ranging from uh, solar panel power production through to waste reduction, uh, conservation, environmental stewardship, uh, food security, and so on and so on. We have, um, for instance, Drive Electric will be bringing a, a fleet of their electric vehicles, and this year, not only ready to answer questions, but if you bring your driver's license, you can take one for a test drive to see how an electric vehicle works. 
I'm thinking that between yourself and I believe the fella's name, uh, Craig Drover. Craig Drover used to be our town manager. That is true. Okay, so on, but he's still with us in spirit. You've had some pretty aggressive plans to to deal with climate-related matters in the town of Balleen. I'm just curious where you are on some of the plans that you had in place, whether it be for, I think you were talking about a small hydro uh, turbine on one of the rivers. You were also talking about hoping to have, I think it was 200 solar panels in play, wind turbines and the like. So where are we? Well, our goal is to be producing all of the power that our public buildings need by solar and maybe backup wind energy. We have 40 of the 200 panels that we need to do that on the roof, producing electricity. And if you go onto our website at uh, townofballeen.ca, you can get a readout of on an hourly basis of what power is being produced by the solar panels. So we're doing it incrementally. We're dealing with taxpayers' money, so we have to be careful how we spend. But our our long-term goal is to cover the roof with solar panels and produce our electricity. Uh, we, but it's not just to do with uh, power production. Uh, what we're aiming to do is to make Bolin an environmental sustainability community, which includes everything, as I said, from uh, from uh, reducing our waste, thereby reducing our greenhouse gas emissions, uh, through to a, a community garden, uh, food security, and a better water management for the town. So the exhibitors that we have, they will be, as I said, Drive Electric will be coming. Our energy sustainability consultants, Fundamental Inc., will be bringing a solar panel and plugging it in and answering questions. Anybody who needs to know how a solar panel works. We've got Ducks Unlimited and Birds Canada talking about wildlife and the Stewardship Association looking at wetlands conservation. Food Newfoundland will be uh, uh, food insecurity. We'll have a, uh, we're rolling out our TerraCycle recycling program, which identifies six household products like Brita filters and toothbrushes that people can collect at home and bring up to the center uh, for uh, collection and then uh, recycling. So our, our plans are quite broad and extensive. And tomorrow we hope to, uh, to you know, have exhibitors demonstrating various things. We'll also be serving nice fresh ice cream and balling, ice balling water, and the fish and chip truck will be down. So it'll be a family affair with lots of environmental games with the kids and so on. I invite anybody who's around to be able to come. Welcome to do so. You know, we when we talk about climate action, people look to the big levels of government, the federal government and their massive pots of money, which is important, and it's, you know, we need that type of support from the federal government and then for yes. the province. But, you know, if we're really going to make any forward strides, Balleen has the luxury of being a small community. Yes. Uh, there's four or 500 people in Balleen. I, I don't know what the exact population is, but... Just under 500. Just under 500. If small communities and then more medium-sized communities, if they 
they took the initiative themselves as opposed to waiting for the feds to do all the heavy lifting here municipalities yeah. is where we start i mean if we had the kind of action that's happening in Berlin across the board with the 275 incorporated municipalities in this province before you know it we would be hitting targets that would be unheard of around the rest of the country we already do very well like when Hollywood goes away we're going to be a very environmentally friendly province for power generation but municipalities need to take the bull by the horns because if they did that it would happen so quickly too because the feds move at a snail's pace the municipalities can be a bit more nimble well i think you're absolutely right patty and the uh you know it is advantageous for as a small town although like everybody else we're strapped for money and we have to watch how we use the taxpayers money and we have had great support from the Canadian Federation of Municipalities in terms of our plans, but we haven't been able to tap into the big federal programs. I think if you're a large city and looking for a million dollars, you probably have a better chance of getting it than a small town like us that's maybe looking for 10000 to help us put the solar panels on the roof. But the capital investment of doing something like that, given that we can eliminate our uh, power bill over the course of a year by producing our own electricity not only makes sense in terms of emissions of greenhouse gases, but it also makes sense from an economic point of view. We are saving money by producing our own power. Uh, that makes sense to me. It seems like misguided focus on behalf of the federal government. The smaller pots of money, uh, things happen quicker. The projects get completed quicker as opposed to, you know, sharing the money. Like the most recent uh, $120 million from the federal government, to if yep. people are so inclined to move from oil to other alternative sources of energy to heat their home, that takes forever. So the province yep. has to decide what to do. Then they have to open the application portal. Then they have to evaluate the applications. And then they have to uh, put <coughs> forward the money as opposed to municipalities do it because the biggest price tag for consumption is at the governmental level. Believe it or not, inside of healthcare and the governmental level, that's a big uh, source of emissions. So a bit more, reverse our focus and put the money in the hands of the smaller communities because they can make the difference quicker than anybody else. Exactly. And we, you know, we've, uh, we've had good support from the federal and provincial government. It's not necessarily financial at this particular point, but... A couple of weeks ago, we had the Federal Environment Climate Change Minister come and visit us because of the work that we're doing. And, you know, he's an environmental activist himself and very positive and and, uh, gave us some very strong encouragement. And, uh, you know, his senior officials in Halifax would work with us in order to complete our project uh, as a demonstration project because it's... It's a symbol for residents, and this is the purpose behind it, is that by doing what we're doing, can we generate interest within the community to people to do things to their own homes and businesses that they too can both save money and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So we, are, we do have a relationship with our local MP, federal and provincial ministers and so on, just now that we need to get going in terms of the, uh, you know, financing the capital investment that's required to put the equipment in place. Uh, last one for you, Lego. You, you said senior a couple of times there, which brings me back to a program they have in your community for seniors, and especially for the distribution of groceries, what have you. Give us an yes. update on how that works and what 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 are you what you're achieving? Pardon me. Well, we've we've had uh, we tapped into a couple of programs through the ingenuity of our town manager, largely. That last year when COVID was on the go and 
Canadian farmers were not able to sell their product. The federal government was buying excess agricultural products and distributing it to uh, communities across the country. And we were one of those. We get a uh, a shipment of I know chicken wings, potato chips, uh, potatoes, and and eggs. Uh, they bring it to the town centre, and we announced not only to Bolin but to our neighbouring communities. If you want a whole box of uh, frozen groceries from Canadian farmers, come and pick it up. That not only means that seniors don't have to go into the grocery stores and risk getting COVID, but it helps them out in terms of their food budget in the year. So food security is one of our goals, and that's why Food First New Flam will be there tomorrow to demonstrate some of its products. Good things happening in Baleen. Appreciate the time, Chris. Wonderful. Hope to see you. Bye-bye. Thanks, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, there, there you go. I mean, you can't overstate some of these things, but... It'd be a great example for other municipalities to follow. And I know some are. They absolutely are. They're trying to be more self-sustainable and to lower their energy costs and what have you. But things can happen quickly at that level. Now it needs funding. Municipalities are strapped. We all know it to be true. Legislative requirements to deliver balanced budgets and what have you. But, and then, of course, comes the concept of leading by example. You know full well, there's members of the community in Baleen that see what the town is doing, and that plants the seed of maybe in my own home to do better, my own behavior do better. And, of course, with doing better comes with saving money. Everybody likes saving money. Uh, let's take a break for the newscast right on time. Don't go away. Your VOCM mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let us now go to line number two. Say good morning to the PC member for Conception Bay East Bell Island. He's the official leader of the PCs. That's David Brazel. David, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty, and uh, thank you for this uh, opportunity to get on and talk about another, obviously, critical issue that we're facing here now, and it's health care. And I wanted to respond, uh, yesterday I put out a press release uh, in response to Sister Elizabeth Davis's uh, comments uh, around what the health accord uh, intent was and what it stood for and what their plans were. Uh, and, you know, Sister Elizabeth and uh, Dr. Parfrey, uh, we met as a caucus on six different occasions to talk about what the health care accord should be all about. Out, how we move it forward, what would be in the best interest of the people of this province, and they outlined uh, from input from uh, the general public and from health professionals what would be an ideal plan. Uh, but it's alarming when she also outlines the fact that the health accord is a long-term approach to addressing health care uh, in, in a multitude of uh, facets. But right now, I mean, we've all admitted the last number of years we're in a health uh, crisis, and a healthcare crisis for sure, but we're right now in the immediate, the last number of months, we're in a critical healthcare crisis. And as she's outlining the same way as we did yesterday, that this administration have got to find creative ways, more innovative ways, and more immediate ways to start addressing the healthcare needs. And we've reached out to the Premier and to the Minister and said, look, if it's legislative changes, let us know. We'll come back in the House, we'll do whatever it takes, needs to be done. If it's resource-based um, resource needs, we'll come back and we'll find a way to do that and we'll be very collaborative to make that work for the people of this province. If it's about thinking outside what we normally do, uh, we would do that too. I mean, if you can fast track an environmental assessment or a land application or a permit, there's no reason why you can't fast track looking at health professionals who have the ability to change their scope of work 
uh, to be able to do uh, interventions that help people have access to health care and take the pressure off another health uh, professional uh, jurisdiction? Or is there other things that can be done with some of the other health professionals out there in the way of enticing them to come? Is there retirees who are probably not wanting to be committed to come back for a year or two and sign the contracts, but for three months, doctors or nurses or pharmacists or paramedics or whoever they may be, uh, LPNs, could come back and for an immediate short period of time get us through this crunch while we come up with a plan of action that starts recruiting the health professionals we need or changing how we deliver health care in Newfoundland and Labrador. Sure. I've seen it, and Sister Davis outlined the same thing that we've been saying, Patty. The Health Accord had a very clear intention uh, and mandate. It was about the 10-year transition plan, and I think they've done yeoman's work on behalf of the province, both Dr. Farfrey and Sister Elizabeth Davis. But some of the things that you mentioned are absolutely requires amendments to legislation, because even when we talk about scope of practice. And some of these responsibilities lie at the college, in my personal opinion. So things like bringing in doctors or other healthcare professionals for locums, and that story of the doctor in Massachusetts can't get here for his free three months of service, covering his own living expenses and the like because it's a college issue so i mean i think there's all of these things have to happen at the same time it's not to relieve any of the pressure and the burden on the province because they absolutely bear a lot of it but i think the college does too don't you 100 percent there there has to be a collaborative approach here uh, my issue has always been and our party's issue has been with this administration is they've been always reactive not proactive these discussions should have been happening we've said it many times you've said it many times you know our issue didn't happen overnight i, I admit that and we understand that but for the last number of years as you saw it escalating and escalating all the players should have been brought in the same room and talked about what are some of the challenges you have in your organization to be able to move things forward let's start addressing those what are the challenges in the next organization who are part of that to make that uh, move alive and that would have included obviously the uh, the college itself in looking at its regulatory processes there to be able to either fast track it or have one-off uh, entities there that can in emergency case be put in play to work immediately we have it again i said it environmental reviews it can be done uh, land applications it can be done uh, but people weren't proactive and i say people here it's the department's responsibility uh, this administration last number of years so we're saying what what's done is done we can change what you did do, but we're willing to work with you to do what needs to be done to immediately address the health care crisis and a critical crisis that we have in health care in this province. Okay, so I mean the province has attempted to do some things here, like they're talking about ex- expanding scope of practice for pharmacists, that's long overdue. Uh, more monies to attract doctors into emergency room shifts, an additional 800 bucks I think it is. And the uh, the recruitment dollar went from 100000 to $150,000. And if you have a patient roster at a, at a family uh, practice clinic over the course I think it's five years. There's a big dangle of bonus money there. Picked up the seats at New Brunswick is not no longer funding at Mons School of School of Medicine. So when you talk creativity, I think that's you know the toughest job in this province is Dr. Megan Hayes, the Deputy Minister for Re- Retention and Recruitment of Healthcare Professionals. So what does think out the box outside the box mean? What sort of suggestions would you put forward for consideration and debate on the floor? Well, and, and I agree. This is not an, an easy fix here. Uh, but when we think outside the box again, thinking outside the fact that fast-tracking certain things there, uh, making legislation, doing what we normally don't do, go in and do, deal with legislation solely on the issue that needs to be addressed so that we can get that change and all the other entities and all the players in play can do their part to move things along quickly. Things about retired nurses or doctors or pharmacists coming in on short-term basis, uh, making it lucrative enough, or if they haven't upgraded their uh, licensing uh, uh, on a standard basis, how do we fast-track that or how do we give them uh, nuances 
understand knowing that they still have the skill set to do certain things there. Being a little bit more creative. Maybe you break down five or six responsibilities in this immediate crisis we have so that it's it's now provided by three or four health professionals where it would have been solely with one. I mean, we've got to be creative here because it's not working, Patty. When you're shutting down emergency rooms in St. Lawrence and in Whitburn and even in St. John's, we have now a critical health care crisis, and if we don't address it, I don't, I don't know all the solutions, but I do know there are people out there with them. If we don't start engaging them, and the first one, if you don't have legislation that makes you have to jump through so many loopholes and slow the process down, you're going to get nowhere, and we're only going to have a worse of an, of an issue facing our uh, people in this province when it comes to health care. I mean, I know health care is a provincial responsibility, but it also comes with some funding in the form of federal health care transfer dollars. There is nothing about this that makes any sense, and what I'm referring to is if we have you know, province by province, different standards, different accreditation, different licensing review processes and exams. You know, doctors have given up wanting to come to the province for locums because of all the paper warfare and the time and the, and the expense that it has. The federal government has a role here. They can no longer shirk the responsibility and say, well, it's a provincial matter. It's things like a national standard for accreditation for starters. We know they're highly mobile health care professionals in demand everywhere in the country and around the world, but it becomes a real hurdle or an obstacle if Practicing in BC is not good enough a background or professional experience to practice here. Like, none of that makes any sense. So this is not to derail the provincial responsibility, but the feds play a role. And they've long just been in the business of transferring money. 100% agree, and only as of yesterday we had a meeting with a number of uh, health uh, providers who talked about the same thing. Accreditation at a national level should be usable anywhere across this country, uh, but there's other loopholes or other uh, roadblocks in Newfoundland and Labrador that prevent people from coming here or slow the process down, which makes it more lucrative to go to Nova Scotia, to go to BC or stay in Ontario. So I agree 100%, but that's where the provinces should be pushing. And I guarantee you, we've been pushing, and we've sent many letters to the national uh, bodies and to the federal minister saying there has to be standards here that everybody can access so that it's not more lucrative or attractive to go to one province over the others and it fast tracks people coming to this province or coming to this country who can then use their skill set into a particular healthcare profession. Uh, last one before I let you go because this is obviously important. I talk about it every single day. Uh, I'm pretty sure I read a release from the party and maybe from you on the passing of Cabot Martin. Curiously, haven't had a whole lot in the way of uh, talk or comment or calls about Cabot. He was a big player in this province, whether it be his role in the Atlantic Accord. And if you ask anybody, Brian Peckford or Tom Rideout, whoever, or Des Sullivan, they'll tell you that people thought, well, we're not, this is not going to go anywhere. But Cabot Martin drove it home. So not only the Atlantic Accord, but all the work he's done in public policy ever since, whether it be even his role as a critic of Muskrat Falls, whether it be his role as uh, with Deer Lake Oil and Gas, he was a big deal. And unfortunately, many people weren't aware of it. And consequently, we haven't had much talk about it and his impact on the province. You're exactly right. And that's why, you know, I put out a press release uh, acknowledging all the things that he had done. I was fortunate enough, you know, many decades ago as a civil servant to, to, wick, to work with uh, Cabot. But also, you know, I was privileged to be in that room when he was the architect here of the Atlantic Accord. He was the architect. He pushed it when other people didn't think it could happen. Now, the politicians did their part. But without his knowledge and his framework and him being able to push the, the angles from behind, we would not have had what now is the cornerstone for our survival in this country. 
country and opening us as an economic viable uh, province. So he should be acknowledged that. We have in the party and we will be acknowledging uh, him in the PC party for the role that he played in advising our administrations over the past for the great things that happened here in Newfoundland and Labrador that he led. Appreciate the time, Dave. Take care, Patty. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. That's David Brazel. He's the PC member for Conception Bay East, Bell Island, also the leader of her, her, I guess, His Majesty's official opposition. That's the first time I actually said that. How about that? Okay, let's take our final break of the morning, our final break of the week. When we come back, Connie's in the queue. She wants to talk about what Chris Palmer from Balleen had to say. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Connie. You're on the air. Oh, hi. Good morning, Patty. It's not important what I wanted to ask, but I just, I would, my husband and I were interested in what's going on in Baleen, and we're wondering, did he say the time? Because we didn't hear it. Is Ooh. it morning? Is it afternoon? Or I think it's the bulk of the day. Let me go to the website here, and I'll get you the information. Town of Baleen. It's a beautiful little community. It is, Patty. It yeah. is. It's a beautiful little community. And, you know, while you're doing that, I just want to say you're so generous and kind. And, you know, the naysayers send you bad emails. I hope you just throw that out. Uh, some of them I just get a laugh at. Uh, some of them are just <laughs> unbelievably over the top. But that doesn't bother me anymore. I've oh, been doing man. this for a long time. I'm uh, glad because you do a lot of good service. And I think if people really knew how generous and kind you were, um, they would be flabbergasted. <laughs> You're so very I'm kind. Let's see here. I'm on the website. I'm not getting much in the way of uh, event calendar. Let me see. It's not really opening for me. Event oh, calendar. Here we go. Okay. I got it here now climate action day here we go click uh more details so here it is my computer is just spinning its wheel opening up the details from the town of Berlin. come on climate action day it's at the community center and looks like it's running the bulk of the day i believe it starts at 8 a.m and runs throughout the most of the day because there was an awful lot going on so what i would also suggest is just to make sure uh if i was you i'd give them a shout just to confirm because i'd hate to give you bad information where you make your way to baleen and not hit the times you want to hit okay i'll do i'll do that thank you kindly i got the number if you want it okay sure it's three three five yes two four eight three I'll call it right now. There you go. Thank you kindly. You're welcome, Connie. Appreciate the time. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, Balleen, there's always opportunities for whether it be the province looking for best practices inside of recruitment and retention of healthcare professionals, you know, like what they're doing at uh, in British Columbia, for instance. They've taken a pretty novel approach to it. There's nothing wrong with stealing the best ideas because I would imagine I speak for most of you who cares whose, whose idea it is? If a good idea came from one province or another, let's go. Let's do it. If it's one party or another, because I am so tired of caring which party has come up with what idea, I'm much more interested in outcomes. I have to say, I know some people are just hung up so tight. The party that they support, whether it be because Nan voted for the Tories or the Liberals or whatever, that's who you continue to support, and so be it. You, you do whatever works for you. But I don't think I could care less about who comes up with the good ideas. I just need and want good ideas to be brought forward and for them to work. The rest of it, couldn't care less. Uh, the town of Baleen, when we talk about leading by example, and for other communities to just pick up what they're laying down. If it sounds like it makes sense and it sounds like it engages their citizens and it sounds like it saves them some money, by doing things like installing the solar panels on the community center and trying to work towards a wind, time, uh, wind turbine for additional power. I know they were talking about micro hydro on one of the rivers 
uh, in and around Balleen. All those things just make so much sense. And look, I get it. For so many uh, communities, especially the smaller ones, you've got counselors who are volunteering their time. And uh, there's a lot to run in a community, and I'm sure they're bombarded with concerns and phone calls and being stopped on the road and in the shop all the time. But every now and then, you know, when you put the best and the brightest together, the collective uh, power of not only members of council, but community leaders, interested parties, putting these types of policies and programs in place, it's only going to save the money. It's only going to make it a more vibrant community. And so maybe there's an example to be taken from the town of Bali, and then they're not alone in doing these types of things. I know full well they're not. There's other communities out there taking very similar approaches too, which leads me to this uh, just out of the blue, off the top of my head. Remember when we would speak to folks about tiny homes? They're not for everybody. You know, we're talking about homes that could be, what, 280 square feet. Certainly wouldn't be good enough for me and my two big Amagons at home because we'd just be on top of each other all day long. But the first community that throws open their arms to welcome the building of tiny homes is going to see population growth especially if it's somewhere nearby where you already live. How many people out there, when we talk about the explosion in the price of a home and or rent, the tiny homes that could be constructed for far less than even my modest bungalow in the East End and could be everything that some people need, everything. A tiny home with a shed out back to keep, you know, some of the supplies and some additional storage and your lawnmower and your doodads. But boy, they look so attractive to me. Now, even for like a summer place, that's something that I'd consider because if it's just me and my wife and the boys every now and then, you need to put up with it for a weekend to be in close quarters. But whichever community starts to embrace it, because I think the big uh, conversation at the time began in the community of Flat Rock. And homeowners around would say, I don't want a tiny home close by where I live because of the whole business of, of comps and the value of my home. If you look around in the places where tiny homes have been allowed and have been built, it has not had an adverse uh, implication with the price or the value of your home. So, boy, some municipality is going to make a big stink of it and a big news release and come on this program and say, we're developing a tiny home uh, subdivision in our community and we're going to allow for the construction of tiny homes wherever they can get approved in the different uh, throws of one community or another. I think it's coming. You know, we talk about affordable housing and the big federal plans, the big provincial plans. Some of it can be boxes checked off by simply, uh, sure, Dave, uh, some of those boxes can be checked off by simply talking more and more about the affordability associated with a tiny home. Why not? Just makes sense, right? Anyway, that just came out of nowhere when I was thinking about smaller communities because smaller communities and maybe some of these tiny homes. And I would think uh, municipalities, Newfoundland and Labrador, also plays a role in these types of initiatives and conversations. You can't dictate to one community or another that you are now the home of tiny homes. No, no, no. But just put the information out there. Look at some of the national research that has been developed over the years with what it means for a neighborhood. And what it means, very importantly, for the perceived, or yeah, I guess the perceived value of my own home. And we did talk about off the top of the show that the real estate market has cooled off in pretty big numbers. Average value lost in Canadian homes, and of course, there's a, it's hard to really deduce what to make of those numbers because the real estate market in this province is not the same real estate market as Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver and the like, but it's down 24% year over year and that adds up to about just shy of $180,000 of lost value. It also yeah, it also does indeed include 
Uh, the most equity that most of us have, you know, we're not all big muckety-mucks with big stock portfolios and that type of thing. For the vast majority of us normal folks, the biggest equity we have is in our own home. So while it feels good for folks trying to get in on the market, it also kind of takes a bit of a knock for the homeowner who, like I said earlier, it might be part of the nest egg that you're working towards as you move on into retirement and you build yourself a tiny home. How's that for a segue back to where I began? Last check-in on the Twitter feed. We're VOCM Open Line. You can follow us there. Our email address is openline at vocm.com. As usual, the most important contribution to the show is when you pick up the phone and give us a shout. So, big thanks to uh, all of you, and there were several again this week, and I really appreciate it, that were first-time callers to the program. You know, let's hope for more and more in the days to come because it just gives us a little bit of a fresher uh, vibe to the program, even though we appreciate the repeat callers. Why not? I do. All right. Uh, have yourself a great weekend. We're going to go out on tune. This one was for John and his mother. They're going to be watching the Queen's procession and funeral coming up this uh, very Monday, and we will pick up this conversation again on Monday morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy weekend. We'll talk Monday. Bye-bye.